Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. So did you watch the debate yesterday between Newsom and DeSantis? If you did, what did you think? Boy, that Newsom is one savvy, slick SOB, right? Somebody said it was like Christian Bale's character in American Psycho. I thought that was perfect. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter. At Rich Zioli. Busy day today. A lot going on. They kicked out uh, Congressman George Santos. And, you know, I just filled in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America, and I, I talked to Congresswoman Debbie Lesko about this, and she voted no. And her point was, look, George Santos has not been found guilty of anything. Uh, there's only accusations around George Santos, and I just think we should not be throwing out our own members of Congress, our own, our own people, if um, they haven't been found guilty of something. It just, it's just a bunch of accusations, and it sets a very dangerous precedent. That's similar to what Congressman Tom Massey said as well. You know, where, where's the due process here? You know, I mean, where, where, do we, where do we go with this? And also the voters have made a determination on George Santos. So who are we to then overturn the will of the voters? But nevertheless, he's out. He's been kicked out, officially expelled from Congress. So there will be no more Congressman George Santos. And uh, there was a big hearing on censorship that occurred. Uh, big, big hearing on censorship. And what we found is that what Matt Taibbi has said is that, yes, you know, the government absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent was in on the censorship industrial complex with big tech. And then what you're going to talk about that as well. Plus, there's developments regarding Israel and hostages and the fighting has resumed between Israel and Hamas. There's a piece in The New York Times today, which is very, very interesting. Uh, that came out, and again, I don't know how accurate it is, but it says Israel knew Hamas's attack plan more than a year ago. And they reviewed a, blueprint, a blueprint which laid out the attack in detail. Israeli officials dismissed it as aspirational and ignored specific warnings. Again, I don't know how accurate this is. I know Israel has kind of dismissed this as saying, look, this is, you know, we, we had a, a broad warning, nothing specific. But the the story that comes out, and you, you obviously have to give a grain of salt here. It's the New York Times, but it says Israeli officials obtained Hamas's battle plans for the October 7th terrorist attack more than a year before it happened. 
according to documents, emails, and interviews. But Israeli military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. It's a 40-page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, outlined point by point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. The translated document, which was reviewed by the New York Times, did not set a date for the attack, but described a methodic method, an assault designed to overwhelm the fortifications around the Gaza Strip, take over Israeli cities and storm key military bases, including a division headquarters. And Hamas followed the blueprint with shocking precision. The document called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack, drones to knock out the security cameras and automated machine guns along the border. Gunmen to pour into Israel en masse in paragliders, on motorcycles, and on foot, all of which happened on October 7th. The plan also included details about the location and size of Israeli military forces, communication hubs, and other sensitive information, raising questions about how Hamas gathered its intelligence and whether there were leaks inside the Israeli security establishment. Well, if this is true, right away, I'm thinking there's leaks. There's no question about it. Loose lips sink ships. That is the long saying right here. The document circulated widely among Israeli military and intelligence leaders, but experts determined that an attack of that scale and ambition was beyond Hamas's capabilities, according to documents and officials. It is unclear whether Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document as well, which is another good point. I mean, you know, you know the intelligence apparatus of Israel much like the United States, is very big, very broad, and there's layers, levels. And, 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 and who decides when something which is a potential threat is worthy of the eyes of the commander-in-chief? I mean, if you, there's only so much you can show the guy. Well, this commander-in-chief, there's nothing you can show him because he doesn't process anything. He looks at everything like whether it's a giant game of tic-tac-toe or not, but... It, it, A normal commander in chief, there's somebody who has to give the okay before it gets to the next person, to the next person who then makes the ultimate decision about whether or not we're going to show the president. No, it's not like some low level intelligence officer who's gathering data can just pick up the phone and call the president of the United States. I mean, there's, there's protocols and chains. I imagine it's the same thing in Israel. So the question becomes how high up the food chain did this warning go? these attack plans and were they, did they just, did somebody, some mid-level person just dismiss it and say, you know what? This is not credible. This is a fantasy. This sounds like something out of a movie. This is not something Hamas could actually really do. By the way, breaking news, appeals court has upheld the conviction of Jussie Smollett, Juicy Smollett, as Dave Chappelle calls him, Juicy Smollett's conviction has been upheld by an appeals court. Of course, he is the guy. That got everybody to believe that on a very, very frigid, cold, 20 below night in Chicago, two MAGA white supremacists just happened to be out looking for a Subway sandwich with a noose and bleach and then try to commit a hate crime against him. And he had everybody fooled for all of about four minutes. I call the Fugazi on it right away. Count Grand Stangelis, Spartacus Booker and the Tears of Rage band. That would be Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. He believed it right away, calling for federal uh, lynching, anti-lynching legislation in the wake of the hate crime against George, uh, excuse me, against uh, Juicy Smollett. And the media, of course, went all in 
all in on what this means in America, that this could have happened to Juicy and the fact that these white supremacists are just roaming the streets of Chicago two o'clock in the morning when it's 20 below zero with bleach and a noose just hoping to find a black man they could bleach and noose. It shows you just how bad America is. And typical of the corporate media, they all parroted that. They all said that. And it was all a giant fugazi. It was the ultimate hate crime hoax. And now an appeals court has upheld his conviction. So we'll get some more of that. In fact, Matt DeSantis, if you could find me a little montage of the media all talking about what it was, how horrible it was, what happened to Juicy Smollett, I would certainly appreciate it. And if we can find Count Cranstangelis, Spartacus Booker, and the Tears of Rage band, Cory Booker, calling for federal anti-lynching legislation in the wake of that, that'd be great as well. Anyway, back to the Israeli thing here. Uh, last year, shortly after the document was obtained, officials in the Israeli military Gaza division, who's responsible for defending the border with Gaza, said that Hamas's intentions were unclear. They said, quote, it is not yet possible to determine whether the plan has been fully accepted and how it will be manifested, read a military assessment reviewed by the Times. Then in July, just three months before the attacks, a veteran analyst with Unit 8200, Israel's Signals Intelligence Agency, warned that Hamas had conducted an intense day-long training exercise that appeared similar to what was outlined in the blueprint. But a colonel in the Gaza division brushed off her concerns, according to encrypted emails viewed by the Times. I utterly refute that this scenario is imaginary, the analyst wrote in an email exchange. The Hamas training exercise fully matched the content of Jericho Wall. It is a plan designed to start a war. It's not just a raid on a village. Officials said they took the warning seriously and redirected significant reinforcements to the south where Hamas attacked. Israel could have blunted the attacks or possibly even prevented them, they say. Instead, the Israeli military was unprepared as terrorists streamed out of the Gaza Strip. It was the deadliest day in Israel's history. I don't, you know, I mean, when you think about just how bad this attack was and why Israel now says they want to wipe Hamas off the face of the earth, I guess if you're a conspiracy theorist, you can say to yourself, well, they knew it was coming and they let it come and so that they could then have an excuse to go fight Hamas. It's like there's these uh, these theories out there that Roosevelt knew that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. But he knew that if it didn't happen, that we would never enter World War II. I mean, you're always going to have theories like that. You can't prove them, obviously. That's why they're theories. If they could be proven, they would be facts, not theories, but. Uh, I think what probably is a more likely scenario is not that Israel wanted this to happen as a an excuse to go and eliminate Hamas. I think it's probably more likely that somebody within the Israeli intelligence just did not think this was a credible plan. Didn't think this could really happen. Just, did, it, you know, as, as they say after 9-11, a, a failure of imagination. So officials have not said how they have obtained the Jericho Wall document, but it was among several versions of attack plans collected over the years. A 2016 Defense Ministry memorandum viewed by the Times, for example, says Hamas intends to move the next confrontation into Israeli territory. Such an attack would most likely involve hostage taking and occupying an Israeli community and perhaps even a number of communities. The Jericho Wall document named for the ancient fortifications in the modern day West Bank was even more explicit. It detailed rocket attacks to distract Israeli soldiers and send them hurrying into bunkers and drones to disable the elaborate security measures along the border fence separating Israel and Gaza. 
Hamas fighters would then break through 60 points in the wall, storming across the border into Israel. And the document begins with a quote from the Quran that says, surprise them through the gate. If you do, you will certainly prevail. The same phrase has been widely used by Hamas in its videos and statements since October 7th. One of the most important objectives outlined in the document was to overrun the Israeli military base in Reem, which is home to the Gaza division responsible for protecting the region. Other bases that fell under the division's command were also listed. Hamas carried out that objective on October 7th, rampaging through the area and overrunning parts of the base. Now, this is a a key point of this. They say the audacity of the blueprint made it easy to underestimate. All militaries write plans that they never use, and Israeli officials assess that even if Hamas invaded, it might muster a few, a force of a few dozen, not the hundreds who ultimately attacked. Israel had also misread Hamas's actions. The group had negotiated for permits to allow Palestinians to work in Israel, which Israeli officials took as a sign that Hamas was not looking for war. But Hamas had been drafting attack plans for many years, and Israeli officials had gotten hold of previous iterations of them. You know, all the people out there who are being so critical of Israel today, do they not understand that Israel allowed Palestinians to work in Israel, believing that this was a gesture of goodwill and a gesture of peace, that a sign that things could be okay? And then those people that were inside the country then carried out this deadly terrorist attack? What could have been an intelligence coup turned into one of the worst miscalculations in Israel's 75-year history. In September 2016, the Defense Minister's Office compiled a top-secret memorandum based on a much earlier iteration of a Hamas attack plan. The memorandum, which was signed by the Defense Minister at the time, said that an invasion and hostage-shaking would lead to severe damage to the consciousness and morale of the citizens of Israel. Hamas purchased sophisticated weapons, GPS jammers, and drones. It also said that Hamas had increased its fighting force to 27,000 people, having added 6,000 to its ranks in a two-year period. Hamas had hoped to reach 40,000 by 2020. Last year, after Israel obtained the Jericho Wall document, the military's Gaza division drafted its own intelligence assessment of the latest invasion plan. Hamas had, quote, decided to plan a new raid unprecedented in its scope. It said that Hamas intended to carry out a deception operation followed by a large-scale maneuver with the aim of overwhelming the division. But the Gaza division referred to the plan as a compass. In other words, the division determined that Hamas knew where it wanted to go, but had not arrived there yet. The training that, the, that Hamas commandos went through on a training exercise on July 6, 2023 included a dry run of shooting down Israeli aircraft and taking over a kibbutz and a military training base, killing all the cadets. During the exercise, Hamas fighters used the same phrase from the Quran that appeared at the top of the Jericho Wall attack plan, which is the one about going through the gate. The analysts warned at the time that the drill closely followed the Jericho Wall plan and that Hamas was building the capacity to carry it out. The colonel in the Gaza division applauded the analysis, but said the exercise was part of a totally imaginative scenario, not an indication of Hamas's ability to pull it off. In short, let's wait patiently, the colonel said. There was back and forth and back and forth. And ultimately, they just didn't think it was plausible, according to the story anyway. 
Well, ominous, none of the emails predicted that what war was imminent, that war was imminent, nor did the analysts challenge the conventional wisdom among Israeli intelligence officials that the leader of Hamas was not interested in war with Israel. But she assessed that Hamas's capabilities had drastically improved. The gap between the possible and the aspirational had narrowed significantly. And again, you know, the, the, the question, of course, is this intelligence failure on October 7th was, I mean, you can argue, was it a bureaucratic mistake, incompetence? Was it, was it deliberate? Was it just a failure of imagination? What is it? But either way, I think that it's very obvious that Hamas intended to do this. It was not an accident. They wanted to kill Jews, destroy Israel. This is what they wanted to do. And they did it on October 7th. They carried this out. And now Israel is fighting back, even though a lot of people are saying that the White House is still tying one hand behind Israel's back. 855-839-1210 is the number on Twitter at Rich Zioli. As the climate change kooks gather in Dubai to lecture us on all how to live, uh, the United Nations General Secretary comes out and says some really crazy things regarding Gaza and climate change. Here is Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Gutierrez, speaking at the 28th annual UN Climate Change Conference, which is known as COP28 in Dubai. And again, I want to remind you, Dubai is my favorite country in the world right now. It really is. It is the jerseyest, jerseyest of countries. Here's what I mean. The Jersey way, of course, is to talk about ethics while taking a bag of cash from somebody for a building permit or a project or something like that. The Dubai way is to host a massive international climate change conference while you are literally building new islands to drill, building new islands off the coast to keep drilling for oil. So you host a climate change conference, you invite everybody in, you take all their money, you host them, you make them happy, you tell them you're concerned about saving the planet while you are all in on petroleum and providing that petroleum to the world for decades to come as these other idiot nations decide they don't want to do it and they don't want to be energy independent. So in the future, Dubai, their host, can turn around and say, what do you need? Need some oil? I got your oil right here. But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a pretty penny. Just say enough for nothing, but uh, this oil ain't cheap. No, Dubai is my favorite. They have my ultimate respect for this. The ultimate con they're pulling. They're hosting the COP28 Climate Summit while they are going all in on being the drilling nation. Drill, baby, drill. While serving people canopies. Canopies! Here is uh, UN Chief Gutierrez. Uh, we're going to do, let's see, cut number two. It's true. Our world is unequal and divided. As we see in this region, conflicts are causing immense suffering and intense emotion. We just had the news that the bombs are sounding again in Gaza. And climate chaos is fanning the flames of injustice. Global heating is busting budgets, ballooning food prices, appending energy markets, and feeding a cost-of-living crisis. But climate action can flip the switch. And renewable energy is the gift that keeps on giving. It's good for our planet, our health, and our economies. Cleaning our hair, 
meeting the world's growing energy demand, connecting millions of people to affordable electricity, bringing stability and security to markets, and saving money, as renewable energy has never been cheaper. Wow. Climate chaos. So there you go. You're going to hear a lot of that today from the COP28 Climate Summit. People of Dubai, they're all in. I love it. All in on making money off oil while hosting these lunatics in their country who are now spending a lot of money in their country. Fantastic. 855-839-1210 is the number. And in Dubai, this is the best part. While in Dubai, a country that is all in on drilling, drill baby drill, UN Chief Gutierrez calls for ending fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, Cut number three. The economics are clear. The global shift to renewables is inevitable. The only question is how much heating our planet will endure before it happens. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is recommending ending our addiction to coal by 2030 in OECD countries and 2040 for the rest of the world. At the same time, according to the International Energy Agency, the oil and gas industry accounts for just 1% of clean energy investments. So allow me to have a message for fossil fuel company leaders. Your old world is rapidly aging. Do not double down on an obsolete business model. Lead the transition to renewables using the resources you have available. Make no mistake, the road to climate sustainability is also the only viable pathway to economic By the way, why does he sound like Count Dracula? Is he from Transylvania? Do you know the UN chief, Antonio Gutierrez? <laughs> I thought he sounded like the, the Count from Sesame Street. Ah, ah, ah. Ten windmills. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah. Four solar paddles. Ah, ah, ah. That one? Exactly, yeah. Please don't have any more sun. I can't take the sun. It makes my skin boil. Like that? <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, here I come to suck your blood. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I think he sounds like Count Dracula. I don't know. I'm going to get the sesame seed. One bologna and cheese sandwich. Oh, oh, oh. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, pull some audio for me. We'll do a side-by-side comparison. Get me Count Dracula from uh, Dracula. We'll get a little of, um, who, who played Dracula in that? Was it John Malkovich? Who played, or, uh, yeah, I think it was John Malkovich who played Dracula in that. Maybe not. I might be thinking of something else. But we'll get um, Dracula and the Count from Sesame Street, and we'll see who Antonio Gutierrez sounds more like. I have the Count right now if you want to hear him. Well, maybe we'll ask Mark Riccadonna who he thinks he sounds like. Since Mark's a professional comedian, he's coming on the show next. And uh, we'll find out what he thinks. Plus, coming up, Fauci is going to be in the hot seat next week. Will we get any answers out of uh, Asanto Fauci, Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor? You obviously... Always have to say that by law. Johnny Cook says he sounds like Bella Lugosi playing Dracula. Let's see if we can grab Bella Lugosi, old school, and probably the best Dracula to date, in my opinion. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. The Zioli Show, on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All righty, 855-839-1210 is the number. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thank you for being here today. Uh, always a pleasure. And it's always a pleasure, too, on a Friday after we've had a long week of talking about war and hostages and everything else. I can try to help you laugh a little bit, at least, by bringing on the show a man who gets paid to make people laugh. No pressure. Mark Riccadonna, my man. How are you, buddy? How are you doing, man? It's good to hear your voice. It's always good to talk to you. I was just talking to our buddy, Big Dan, producer Dan. He says he loves you. Oh, I love So now I'm a little jealous. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> well, we have to all get together. <laughs> yes, absolutely we do. No question about it. Uh, what's going on in the world? What's what's new? What are, you, what are you talking about these days? Well, I'll tell you what. Christmas is around the corner. We're getting ready for that. Are you, I got to ask you, are you a real Christmas tree guy? 100%. You're, yeah. See, I, I lived in New York City forever, so getting a real tree meant going to giving some guy 60 bucks and he gives you a dead tree branch you put it in water all the needles fall <laughs> off and you have christmas potpourri right <laughs> we didn't really <laughs> but now we live in pennsylvania so my wife goes you got to get a real tree make it special for the kids i didn't know getting a real tree in pennsylvania means waking up at 5 a.m going out into the woods in the cold in the rainy cold finding the tree we want so then we have to get the saw out we go to cut the tree down i say we like anybody helped right um <laughs> i cut the tree down i drag it back i get it home i start putting it up all of a sudden all my all the kids in my family become a construction consultant <laughs> hey dad the tree's crooked it's crooked can you move it to the left I look over the seven-year-old. He got a coffee and a cigarette. He looks like a union boss. <laughs> Can we wrap this up? Bluey starts in 15 minutes, Dad. I finally get the tree up. I'm telling you, I get the tree up. I'm so tired. I have needle marks like I live in Kensington. I go down to uh, lay down. I lay down on the bed. My wife comes in. This is how sweet she is. She comes over, sits on the bed next to me, and goes, you know, nobody asked what you want for Christmas, Mark. And I said, I want to convert to Judaism. <laughs> well, you didn't get it. Like, there was no animals in the tree, were there? Like, you know, like a raccoon didn't come out and attack you or anything, did it? <laughs> That's my favorite scene in National Lampoon's right? Christmas is when the squirrel <laughs> The squirrel them. comes in. <laughs> you are Clark Griswold. You really are. 
<laughs> I am, and everybody in my family makes fun of me because I put on Christmas music in like October, and I like <laughs> wear the sweaters, and we're going to have the ha- happiest Christmas. <laughs> I, we're going to be whistling so Dixie it. out of her. Yeah, look, um, I'm a real tree guy because I'm I'm a big fan of the of the farmers. You know, the Christmas like people make their living selling Christmas trees, and most of the artificial yeah. ones are made in China. Uh, I don't yeah, I don't trust I don't, there aren't like listening devices built in. You know. <laughs> yeah, and plus, you know what I mean? Kids are supposed to be getting presents, not building our trees. <laughs> you don't want to turn your house into a sweatshop, do you? <laughs> Those little, little five-year-olds are cutting their fingers trying to make those needles look right, you know? But the thing about Christmas is, that I, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much a believer in this, so I'll ask you, Mark Riccadonna, are you a... Yeah. Wait till Thanksgiving, guy, or are you pre-Thanksgiving with your Christmas uh, festivus activities? I, I will listen to Christmas music in June. I, really? I love Christmas music. Yeah, wow. I, I, I have it on my, um, you know, on my playlist. I have Christmas, a Christmas folder, and I'll put it on shuffle. And then every once in a while, a Christmas song comes on. I let it play. I don't care if I'm at the beach. Yeah. I let it play. I love Christmas, and I, I love the whole idea around Christmas. I love people being nice to each other. I love. Uh, I love. I don't all like that part I, of it. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Oh, the whole, you know, no. See, I, I can see that. With you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like. Mean, I, I watch Christmas movies in the summer. I mean, I'll throw on Die Hard in a nice June day. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I like it because it is I'll a Christmas movie. Don't you agree? I agree. I totally agree. Um, I, I I think anytime if there's any aspect, I mean, Goodfellas is still kind of a Christmas movie in my head. <laughs> so what defines it then? If if there's Christmas at all in the movie in any way, shape, or yeah. form, does that make it then a Christmas movie? Any amount of Christmas in the so movie. The Godfather's a Christmas scene, movie. This is good, it right? Is. I mean. Let's be honest. How many times do you sit around with your family? You know, I, I remember coming home and visiting with my mom and dad and my brother and the godfather would be on. It's either Thanksgiving or Christmas is when I watch it with them. So it kind of becomes a Christmas movie. Yeah. But it's also a great excuse <laughs> to watch it with your children. Like, come on, kids, we're going to watch a Christmas movie. Yeah. Is it Rudolph? Is it Frosty the Snowman? No, it's Godfather. <laughs> well, and my youngest, my he just turned eight. My I keep calling him my seven year old, but he's eight now. Um, he reminds me, and my wife and I nickname him Little Joe Pesci. <laughs> uh, he has the he has a, I, we don't know how he was born here in uh, Pennsylvania. He's not a New York kid, but he has a New York accent, and he has a real grumbly little voice. So wow. he's like he. And he has a bit of an attitude, so he really fits. And they're the same height. Joe Pesci and him are about the same height. So the, it's really like this kid is it. This kid is your your son. I I feel bad for him. Um, I, is there a charity? Is there a GoFundMe I can send some money to to help him out? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to be to get a bigger trunk of our car so he can start putting bodies away. Because <laughs> I think he has. He has his future mapped out. This kid's going to be uh, definitely going to be a gangster. Well, listen, I have a body. I, 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 I Never mind. I got a guy, but just we'll talk off the air. I, I got some. Mark Rugadana, um, I want to get your take on this. I, when, when you do your comedy shows, do you ever do any impressions of people? 
I do more characters than I would say impressions because, mm-hmm. like, uh, most of the people I do, people don't know who they are because right. they're people like in my life. But um, yeah, I like impressions a lot. All right. Well, I want to just get your opinion on. This is the U.N. chief. His name is uh, Antonio Gutierrez. I'm going to play a clip. I don't need you to comment on, on the substance of what he's saying because it's, it's not substantive at all. But I just want you to focus yeah. in on his accent, if you would, because we're having a debate okay. on the show about whether or not the U.N. chief sounds more like Count Dracula, the Count from <laughs> Sesame Street, or maybe like an evil Bond villain. So I'll see what, what, you, what your Ooh. take is on it. Here is uh, the U.N. Okay. chief, uh, Antonio Gutierrez, cut number one. Just days ago, I was on the melting ice of Antarctica. (laughs) Not long before, I was among the melting glaciers of Nepal. These two spots are far in distance, but united in crisis. Polar ice and glaciers are vanishing before our eyes, causing a vogue the world over. What did he say to F the world over? Wait, 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 stop it right there. Did he just say we're the F the world over? (laughs) Did he? I think so. Did I just hear that? <laughs> Let's hear it again. Polar ice and glaciers are vanishing before our eyes, causing a walk the world over. From uh, All right, now, hey, uh, let's contrast that with... Uh, well, for, what's your take, first of all, Marco Gadana, from just hearing him right away? Oh, this guy's definitely a vampire. Vampire. Like, he has to be. Yeah, he has to. I don't know if he's like the... Uh, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Um, the very the, the talking like this, the, the glacier. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he could come from Transylvania. I mean, Transylvania, I believe, is a member nation of the United Nations. I got to check my math on that, but I, I, th- I think so. All right. Well, here's let's yeah, let's do this. Here is um, Bella Lugosi playing Dracula. All right. We'll see if he sounds okay. more like that. All right. Go ahead. I have chartered a ship. Take us to England. Mm. We will be leaving tomorrow evening. All right, now play Gutierrez again, and now we'll see what we think here. Go ahead. Landslides and floods. I don't know. It's kind of spot on, Mark. It's the perfect accent, but the Gutierrez guy has a little bit more fun in his voice where he's a little more up. Mm. You know, it's it's a little up here, and... Uh, Bella Lugosi is uh, the same exact accent, though. Like, that's spot on. Yeah. But, uh, this, the Gutierrez guy sounds like he's a good time. Like, you could probably go get some good, you know, go suck some blood with some cool people with him. <laughs> All in the name of climate change, you know? <laughs> when he's walking on the ice caps uh, at 2 in the morning when there's no sun. Do you what we do in the shadows? <laughs> no, you, you know, I've been that dying. Show that, that show is on my list. What, what, and, and you have to watch I, it. I've heard a lot of people that say that. Colin Robinson, he's the energy vampire. He'll <laughs> talk about climate change till everybody's drained all their energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here is the count from Sesame Street. We'll see if the UN chief, uh, Antonio Gutierrez, sounds more like him. Uh, take a listen. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Oh, greetings, it is I, the Count, and it's time to answer that fascinating question, what is the Sesame Street number of the day? Uh, uh, Let's count the bats and find out. Ah, that's one, one bat, two, two. 
Two bats. Two. Two. And here's Gutierrez again. But this is just one symptom of the mm-hmm. sickness bringing our climate mm-hmm. to its knees. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I, I'm going to say more Bella Lugosi. I wonder, do you have Count Chocula? Can you, you get Count, Count Chocula? We have access to a vast array of counts. We, 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 we have an archive of counts. That's what I. That's what your show's been kind of known for, the amount of counts you can get on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can get Count I've, I've Chocula never, going. I've never been on radio with so many counts. It's, a, it's an amazing show. <laughs> I love it. While we're waiting for Count Chocula, <laughs> tell me where uh, you are going to be performing. Um, so I'm actually uh, I'm going to be hitting the road. I'm going to be going out through the Midwest. But February 22nd, I'm going to be at the Sellersville Theater. Um, it's just right outside of Philly. Um, that's the next time I'll be in the area. But other than that, I'm going to be on the road hitting, hitting, uh, the Northeast up in uh, New England and I'll be Woodstock, New York, and then out into the Midwest. All right. Good stuff. Do we have Count Chocula? Yeah. yeah, yeah? All right. Let's hear Count Chocula and, oh, and get uh, Mark Rickardana's opinion on this. Count Chocula, what's in here? My treasures. Count Chocula cereal. But of course. Wow. <laughs> what's that? This is Igor. My God. All right. And now uh, the U.N. Secretary mm-hmm. General, uh, Antonio Gutierrez. A sickness only you, global leaders, can mm. cure. Mm. What do you think? Ooh. Oh, man. I'm going to go Bella Lugosi 1. Okay. Count Chocula 2, then the count from Sesame Street 3. All right. Now, Just Another Tiger on Twitter has one more edition. We'll do one more edition here. And grew Uh-oh. from Despicable Me, played, of course, by oh. Steve Carell. That? So that's a, that's a good, that's a late entry. I like that. It's a late entry of who the like UN it. chief sounds like. Uh, so we got a little Despicable Me, a little Gru. Have you ever seen Gru, Matt DeSantis? Have you ever seen the Despicable Me movies? I've uh, never seen them, You have no. not seen them. All right, just, just Google, go on YouTube, Google Gru, Despicable Me. He'll come up and uh, we'll play a clip. We'll do it on the fly here. Mark, what's your and website, so by the way, while we're doing that? Oh, it's uh, markrickadonna.com. That's R-I-C-C-A-D-O-N-N-A. And I just opened a merch uh, page. So if you want to get a Christmas gift of a uh, one of my shirts, uh, and they're not shirts from my closet. They're actually printed shirts. <laughs> I'm not like, it's not a garage sale or anything. But then yeah. how do I hold it up and smell it like in the scene in Brokeback Mountain if it's not actually your shirt? Oh, well, you know, I can come down to the studio and sweat <laughs> up a shirt for you. I, all I have to do is sit in it. It'll automatically smell sweaty. Are you one of those guys that just like a big guy, you're just constantly sweating all the time? Oh, I sweat when I eat. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's horrible. I sweat nonstop. I'm very hairy. So it's. Uh, I wear a turtleneck even in the summer. It's awful. You're probably the reason why the UN chief has to talk about climate change. It's probably you, your body temperature alone. <laughs> it's me. I'm. I'm melting the, the ice caps just by going in the ocean. That's why nobody wants me to swim anymore. <laughs> All right, here is um, uh, here's Gru from Despicable Me. We're, let's, let's do the side-by-side here. Okay. Now, I realize that you guys have probably heard about this other villain oh. who's mm. pyramids. Apparently, it's I, I, he might a big deal. Yeah. yeah. I think he might be the win because he goes up and down with his voice like Gutierrez, and they're probably from the same 
police. Yeah, yeah, and and they're both sort of evil, evil supervillains, right? One is just running a criminal enter, uh, you know, and then the other is the UN. But all right, so now let's hear the let's hear the UN chief again. Go Those ahead. Vital signs are failing. Yeah, it's definitely grew. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Who was that on Twitter? That was just that another tiger in? on Twitter. Nailed it. That's Gru from Despicable Me. Yeah. All right, we got you it now. Win. Let's do a side by side, Matt DeSantis, one more time. Gru and Gutierrez. We have figured it out now that the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez is actually Gru from Despicable Me. People are calling it the crime of the century and stuff like that. But am I upset? No, I am not. <laughs> now, which one is that? That's Gru. Yeah, I know. Right. Which one, though? Right. Yeah, exactly. Is that Gru or Gutierrez? Gutierrez. And the hottest year ever. You don't know. You don't know which one. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I, 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 we definitely found a winner. That's it. Yeah. This is what our brain power can come up with. I'm so proud of us. I really am. So proud of us. Margaret Gadana, always a pleasure, my friend. Have a great weekend. We will see you in Sellersville, PA, February 22nd. Uh, we'll look forward yes. to that. In the meantime, check out com, And uh, maybe we'll see you live in Cape May, too. You can come hang out with us for a little while. That'd be a lot of fun. I would absolutely love to do that, man. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Yeah. You too. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. Friday afternoon. Don't you love Friday's Friday feeling? Love it. Always love it. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Yes, we got a lot to chat about here today. Uh, you know what, too? I, as I'm watching the news and we got a lot of Matt Taibbi, he had a lot of censorship things. And then we got a crazy, crazy comment that was made by a Democrat, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, as she talks about the reasons why we should have censorship. So I'm going to share that with you as well. But did you watch the debate last night? I want to get your reaction to that. Give me your reaction to the Newsom-DeSantis debate if you watched it. 855-839-1210 or on Twitter at Rich Zioli if you want to weigh in. But did you watch? What did you think? And give me your analysis. Now, I'll give you my top line analysis right away, and that is this. It is very obvious to me that uh, Ron DeSantis is an incredibly talented guy. He's a very, very good governor, probably the best in the country. He's solid, he's smart, and he's good on his feet. He lacks the personality and the charm, but, you know, he's good. But he's not going to be the nominee. You know, and this is no disrespect to him. I know that, you know, if you're a DeSantis person, you don't like hearing that. But, you know, my I, my job falls and strikes. Tell you the truth. Tell you what's going on. And that's where we are. He he he's not going to be the nominee. Trump's going to be the nominee. Uh, Newsom is a slimy used car salesman, American psycho uh, straight. You know, I mean, like he is not a straight talker. He doesn't answer questions. He just looks too good. The hair perfectly quaffed with all that petroleum in it. But somebody made the comment that this is the 2024 matchup that will never happen. I'm not so sure that at least one of them won't be the nominee. And I told you it was not going to be DeSantis, but I'm not so sure that it won't be Newsom. I, I, Newsom Gavin Newsom could be the Democrat nominee for president. No doubt about it. He could be the Democrat nominee for president. Because if they, if the Democrats, if they, I mean, they want, they, they need to dump Joe Biden. And then what are you going to do? 
What what's going to happen? What's going to happen is they have to tap somebody on the shoulder. He's auditioning for that. Last night was an audition to try to show people he could appeal to general electorate uh, voters. And he's not a moderate, but that's the game that he was playing last night. Mark's in Conchahawk. And Mark, you watched last night. What did you think? Well, like I told the call screen, I thought it was just a battle of two losers. But, uh, but Rich, I got a, I got a bone to pick with you. Okay. You, you played all these counts, but you didn't play the vampiric one. <laughs> well, Pelosi, the vampiric one, Nancy Pelosi, I don't know if she actually, does she sound like a vampire? That's the question, right? Every does she actually sound life. like a vampire or not? Yeah, she sounds, believe me, she sounds like a vampire. All right, I, I will add her into the mix, and we'll, we'll we'll come back to this a little bit later in the show because it's fair. I probably should have, I probably should have brought that one out. All right, thanks, brother. All right, Mark, thanks, buddy. Have a great weekend. Uh, maybe we could do. I feel. I see on my soundboard. If I can get it. Let's see if I can pull it over here. Uh, let's see. I've got a Pelosi, and we'll do. We'll throw Pelosi into this. I can find it. Let's see. Um, here we go. Anyway. We're not doing a wall. Does anybody have any doubt that we're not doing a wall? Now, you see, she doesn't sound like Gutierrez, but she does sound like an angry vampire. Right? I mean, she doesn't, the accent's not there, but the passion, the vampiric passion is there. <laughs> That's very obvious. Uh, Frank and Haddonfield, hold on the line. I'm going to take a quick break, and you'll be up next. Uh, give me your thoughts on the debate. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli, if you want to weigh in. On everything we are discussing on the show today, we got a big one for you, loaded up, lots of great guests, and we will be right back. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The Revolution. Yes. Yes. This, this is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Reaction to the Newsom DeSantis debate, American Psycho versus the Florida governor. What did you think last night? Uh, Hunter Biden will be testifying soon, and so will Dr. Anthony Fauci and Gutierrez. We've officially decided. That the U.N. Secretary General sounds like Gru from Despicable Me, and we have dubbed him Grutierrez. Well, a dear friend did, but nevertheless, I like stealing people's content all the time. Let me play a uh, clip for you uh, before I go to Frank and Haddonfield, 855-839-1210. This is a great dig by Ron DeSantis last night against the Florida governor, against the California governor, Gavin the Hare Newsom. Cut number six. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California um, and come to the state of Florida. That was a good dig right there. 855-839-1210. Frank is in... Haddonfield, New Jersey. Hello, Frank. Hey, how you doing, Rich? Uh, good talking to you. First time, and, long uh, time. Yeah, I did see the, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time caller, uh, you know, in the last uh, month or so. So, um, yeah, but I, uh, I watched the, the most of the debate last night, and, um, you know, it, to, to me, it just seems like, uh, in general, just a, a lack of. Um, I just like a lack of focus on both sides. Both sides were speaking over one another. It was really just kind of hard to follow, and I'm not sure if that was either a tactic or just an experienced um, you know, debate back and forth. But I was really left with, I, I, you know, the, the line you just used, I think it was really the only good line that came out of the entire debate last night. And it just kind of reminds me, although I was not alive at the time, the, the you know, famous debate between uh, Kennedy and Nixon where – it just seemed like Kennedy was much more uh, comfortable and confident, and Nixon kind of seemed you know, sweaty and agitated. Uh, it goes back to, you know, I'd like to find a reason to vote for DeSantis, and I, I, I do like a lot of his policies, and he has a proven track record. But I think this has a hard time articulating why to vote for him. And certainly last night, if anything, I just kind of walked away from there with uh, just thinking he was – you know, neutral, and he didn't sway me in direction at all. Interesting. And this was kind of his moment, right? I mean, he had the stage all to himself. This was, if there was ever going to be a time to win you over, I imagine last night was that time, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, he has not impressed me so far in the, on the larger debate stage. And uh, even last night, I was kind of, I was rooting for him and hoping this would be his, his chance to break away, but... Yeah, I, I've not. I've been busy all day at work today. I'd be interested to see what people thought of it, and was there a real breakout moment, or to just kind of you know, people view it? I would say just mid. All right, my friend. Thank you very much, Frank and Haddonfield. Appreciate it. Eight five five eight three nine twelve ten. Do you agree? And was there a breakout moment for him? To Frank's earlier point, which I think he was also spot on, as they talked over each other a lot. Here's a clip of that. Newsom to DeSantis, uh, cut number 12. Cut 12. This is just a reminder. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a question some people are probably asking. I know Nikki Haley's campaign is asking, when are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot to take down Donald Trump in this nomination? She laid you out. Please. You're a walking hypocrite. You what about, You're a walking you hypocrite what about China? on the issue of China. This is I'm the guy <laughs> that was looking for direct foreign trade from China, was doing trade shows, open up an office. That's already been That's debunked. You talk about true. the liberal fact checkers. Even the liberal fact checkers Ch- did Donald Trump did that, himself so. today called Please. you Red Ron for Please. a reason, because of your complete hypocrisy. All right, we're almost out of time. Talk- yeah, it's exactly what Frank was talking about there. Uh, Heavy is in Huntington Valley. Hello, Heavy. <laughs> Yeah, what's up, dude? What's up, buddy? First of all, I mean, we all know this. This was this was DeSantis's pretty much hail mary chance at you know having any any improvement in the polls, and I I don't think he got it done. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I'm still confused as to what exactly this this was at the end of the day. Because if Ron DeSantis isn't out there explaining what he's going to do as he governs and how he's going to make this country better, and he'd rather just sit there and, and debate, you know, oh, I'm doing a better job in this state than Gavin Newsom, somebody who's not even on the ticket at the moment. I mean, it's, it's, it just turned, you know, it was just like a pissing contest. And I don't think anybody got anything out of that thinking, you know, 
uh, Ron DeSantis is going to be some great president. And obviously, all the pressure was on him because this that was that was pretty much his his big chance, his you know his last big shot at gaining him any momentum. And Gavin Newsom, you know, I certainly don't agree with any of his policies. And I, you know, I do like Ron DeSantis, but I, I don't think you can deny that. Newsom sat there. He was confident the the entire time. He had zero pressure on him. And, you know, he did exactly what his party needed him to do. And that was to sit there, dodge a bunch of questions, and just back up the current administration. And I, I just don't see how Ron DeSantis so he didn't have his took breakout advantage moment. of the moment. Yeah, did not have his breakout moment. So you agree with the last caller on that and point? I, and, and I do want to say, uh, I love that that you brought up Nikki Haley. You know, you see you see what's going on right now with party leadership and concerns to Nikki Haley. It really seems like they are pushing her as hard as they can in trying to push Donald Trump out. And I just want to say, if that happens, I will literally never forgive the party ever again. Because Nikki Haley is an absolutely horrible candidate. She is, I just, I, if she were to, she were to somehow push out Trump, I would just lose my mind because I cannot stand her. I can't stand her policies, her entire philosophy on Ukraine. And now this is this war in Israel. It's just, it's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane is right. Heavy, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. 855-839-1210 is the number. Bonnie is in Pennsburg, PA. Bonnie, how are you? Hi, Rich. How are you doing? Good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. I watched a debate last night, and uh, Newsom, to me, came across as smug, arrogant, sarcastic, disrespectful, and he really thinks he's privileged. You could see it. I, he never answered questions. He just filibustered. Yeah. 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 And no, then, look, I mean, that's right. It, that was probably the most frustrating part of it is that yeah. it, it was just a giant filibuster. Right. And the saying is he, he just doesn't have a personality. I mean, he's a great governor, and he'd probably be a good president, but he just doesn't come across. He's, You know what I'm saying? Well, look, I think the question is, it was his breakout moment last night. Did he have the breakout moment? And it sounds to me like you're saying he did not. No, he didn't. Okay. I'm sorry. No. That's all right. Bonnie, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 855 I mean, there's no question in my mind that, that DeSantis wiped the floor with them, but... It's just a matter of was it his breakout moment or not, and I don't think it was his breakout moment. So, I, you know, that's just that's just the reality of the situation. I'm, I, you can't get away from that. I mean, it was just he's not going to be the nominee, and he did his best. I'm not doubting that he did his best. I, I just that's the situation that we're in right now. Um, Steve is in Reading. Steve, how are you? Hi, Rich. Good. Good Friday afternoon. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller. So, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, DeSantis set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, you know, obviously his track record stands for itself. And all you've got to do is take a look at the two states 
and um, you know, uh, Newsom, you know, basically didn't have any facts or figures to defend himself. He didn't have any defense for how he has destroyed California over the last several years. Um, he basically was like a uh, like a uh, frat boy that just basically, you know, had a bunch of snide comments. So I think he did himself a disservice. That's my opinion, and that's how I view him. So um, that's my two cents. That's your two cents. All right. Well, listen, it's good sense, Steve. Thank you. And take it to the bank. All right. Take care. Appreciate it, bud. 855-839-1210 if you want to weigh in on this. Uh, your thoughts on the Newsom-DeSantis debate. Whew. I'll tell you, the scenario in my mind, how this works, is that what happens is the Democrat establishment figures out a way to get around the Kamala Harris problem. It's not the Joe Biden problem. It's the Kamala Harris pro- problem. And if they can figure that out, then Gavin Newsom has a shot. Otherwise, he has no shot. Let me play a clip for you. This is um, Ron DeSantis. I thought this was a very good moment for last night for him when he talked about the freedoms that Californians have during the Fox News debate. Cut number seven. one point tried to say that California was the freedom state. I just kind of laugh like you're locking people down. You're doing all this. Uh, but then I thought about it. You know, California does have freedoms uh, that some people don't, uh, that other states don't. You have the freedom to defecate in public in California. You have the freedom to pitch a tent on Sunset Boulevard. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. You have the, the freedom to uh, have an open air drug market and use drugs. You have the freedom, if you're an illegal alien, to get all these taxpayer benefits. So, so those are freedoms. They're not the freedoms our founding fathers envisioned, but they have contributed to the destruction of the quality of life in California, and the results speak for themselves. People are leaving the state because they have failed in addressing the homeless population. Wow, that was a good line. I mean, that's, that was a very good line by the Florida governor, I thought. Again, I thought he, I thought he won. I think he did a great job against Newsom, but I, I, I agree with I think it was Frank from Haddonfield who said it was he has it's not his breakout moments. It's not going to change the trajectory of the race. And again, that is no disrespect intended for uh, the Florida governor. Uh, let's go to Tom and Langhorn. Tom, how are you? Hi, Rich. How you doing? I'm so glad. I, I usually don't call. I had a stroke, but I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay, Listen, buddy. the last few fellows you had on there, they're looking for this breakout moment. The breakout moment is if you're watching TV, if you have a brain cell, and you see them put up the graphics for crime and COVID and homicides and all that, there's the graphics. A five-year-old could look at that and say, gee, Mommy, I, I think Mr. DeSantis won. I mean, what are you guys looking for? Some Reagan moment? The guy is right there lying. He will not look at, at Sean Hannity and answer. Every time he answers, he tries to answer it with a jab at DeSantis. You're supposed to look at the moderator and tell him your answer. He could not get an answer out of uh, Gavin Newsom all night long. I think the said is a very honorable man. Is he all like, uh, you know, make your skin go crazy? No, but he's a he's a man's man. I think two of the last calls you had, not the last ones. The, I don't know what they're waiting for, but God bless America. Do you like how your 401k is doing? The world's on fire, and you don't want to make a change? Well, I That's think, they, I think they do want to. I think the last two callers do want to make a change. I think... Their point, Tom, was that Ron DeSantis did not have his breakout moment that's going to lead him to get the party's nomination. What do you think of that? No. Well, I think you're right. But anything anything other than a liberal thought mind, anything that doesn't want to use pronouns is for me. I'm, the, you know, I'm a 79-year-old guy, cop 30 years, 
Philadelphia. I know how things work. You know, when Catholic school, you open the door, you close it, you put the light on, you put it out. That's that's I say that all the time, and you know everybody's responsible for themselves. And the way and when, when he said about you're allowed to defecate on the on the, on the that's all you got to say. And when the other great line was, you got Chi coming here, he's, he's power washing all the streets and throwing people in the street. But for the regular people to live there, he can't do that. That alone should be reason why he should never be in the White House. All right. Listen, I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. 855-839-1210. I agree he should not be in the White House. Believe me, I'm not saying he should be in the White House. No way. I think there's two things here. In the context of the debate, DeSantis won. In the context of breaking out of the Republican primary to become the party's nominee, no, he did not do that. Uh, The G comment. Yes, we have a... This is a good clip, too. Cut number eight. This is when... DeSantis went after Newsom over his cozying up to Xi Jinping. Governor DeSantis, about two minutes. This is is a map of San Francisco. (laughs) There's a lot of plots on that. You may be asking, what is that plotting? Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. Mm -hmm. There you go. G, G, G. So... Good. I mean, it's a great line, by the way. It really is. The Santa's had some good zingers last night. And Newsom Slimeball would not, he just simply couldn't, like, he really could not come up with any solid answers. Now, what is interesting, though, about the strategy here is if they do tap him on the shoulder, if they call him out from the dugout and they say, okay, put me in, coach, you're in, Newsom is then going to pretend like he's a moderate. You know, he's going to invoke the... um, you know, the Ed Rendell, uh, Bill Clinton of the 90s, you know, he's that kind of a, a Democrat, a new, a new Democrat. He's not he's not nuts. You know what I mean? Uh, and in order to do that, then he has to actually embrace some of Trump's talking points, which he did last night going after DeSantis. And I'm only playing this for you. Understand my point here. Sometimes people make assumptions. My point here is, in my opinion, last night was Gavin Newsom's audition to the Democrat power brokers that he could be the guy. All right. And if he is the guy, he doesn't have to worry about a a Democrat primary. He has to worry about winning the general election because they will control the primary to make him the guy. Cut number 10. Let's talk about your record on COVID. You passed an emergency declaration before the state of California did. You closed down your beaches, your bars, your restaurants. False. It's a fact. The you had quarantines. False. You had quarantines. You had checkpoints all over the state of, Cal- uh, of Florida. By the way, I didn't say that. Donald Trump laid you out on this. Dead to right. You that's did that. True. You followed science. You followed Fauci. That's, Ron not, that's not false. He followed science. He true. followed Fauci. You and were promoting. Everyone leave hold California on. You were promoting vaccines. We were open. You were promoting we vaccines. Were you even wore we a closed. mask in we September. Were open, you were closed. If it's, if it's okay with you. We'll do this. Why were you closed Why don't we do this so in a long? way where we both can have Why were you closed for so long? You wore you a were mask closed. with right, guys, Donald guys, Trump closed. outside I'm to let it breathe. in September 2020. He did all of that until he decided to fall prey to the fringe 
of his party. And as a consequence of that, Ron, tens of thousands of people lost their lives. Not true. The equivalent, if I had your policies, the equivalent of 10 9-11s, tens of thousands of people lost their lives. And for what, Ron? Those are more lies. In fact, the Lancet just did a study. <laughs> Florida had a lower standardized COVID death rate than California did. That's a Lancet let me, study. Let me, yeah, one more thing. One more thing. The other thing we had, the other thing California had, your California had higher Excess mortality than All right, than gentlemen, Florida. gentlemen. Let me talk about that, the excess mortality I, 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 real quick. Honestly, because the hold on a second. Okay, 855-839-1210 is the number if you want to weigh in today. All things, of course, on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. So Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill is where I go, and I highly recommend them to you. They are outstanding, and they do great work. And now is the best time to get to Cherry Hill Volvo. They're at the beginning of an exciting renovation to their dealership, and that means this is a great opportunity for you to purchase the Volvo of your dreams. They need to make room for all the construction equipment. So this month, on top of their already aggressive financing, you can take advantage of incredibly generous offers in addition to that. An additional $1,000 off all new Vavos plus owner loyalty. And $2,000 off when you're financing or leasing through Vavo cars. Plus a $7,500 lease rebate on all plug-in Vavos. The dedicated professionals at Cherry Hill Vavo pride themselves on always delivering the luxury experience that you deserve. And they'll certainly continue to do that throughout the remodeling of their dealership. It's why I chose and continue to choose Cherry Hill Volvo. I love my Volvo and you will too. Cherry Hill Volvo is the most accessible Volvo dealer to Philly and South Jersey right across the bridge. Judith, Yosef, and the entire team look forward to meeting you. This is a great time to go get the Volvo of your dreams, whether it's a new or certified pre-owned Volvo or the Care by Volvo lease program that I'm in, which gets you a new Volvo, brand new, every five months and includes everything, even car insurance in one monthly payment. It's a no-brainer. Cherry Hill Volvo, though, is where you go because they are the dealership that stands with us as we broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Zioli Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. 855-839-1210 is the number. Let's see, uh, Joe is in Columbus, New Jersey. Joe, your thoughts on the Newsom-DeSantis debate last night? Hey, Rich. Um, Well, I noticed, and it's got to be an intentional planned pattern. Uh, First of all, it was a free-for-all, and I, I, I get frustrated. So I got to turn it down. Um, But it's becoming a pattern commonplace that the left, you don't have to perjure yourself anymore. All you have to do is either say, I don't recall or not answer the question. And I just wonder if people out there are seeing that lack of committal out there. And for me, uh, I don't know if you recall, but you remember that 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 little summit meeting that Trump had with Pelosi and Schumer? Uh, Schumer was sitting there like he was getting needles stuck in his uh, stuck to him from his in his rear end with his body language. 
Nancy Pelosi, when she was put on the spot, she says, well, we got to talk about this behind closed doors. It seems like they don't have any accountability to the public for answering questions. No, they don't. You're exactly right. They do not. And that's what happened last night. That's what happened last night. I just, you know, answer the darn question. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to hear it. And I'm, I'm wondering if the other side gets frustrated from that lack of committal. Uh, no, because I think that if you're a partisan, you probably think your guy won. So Democrats think Newsom won and Republicans probably think DeSantis won. I mean, but, but that's why it's not even for me, it's not an interesting question who won the debate, because I think whatever team you root for, you think won. I think the more interesting question is, did Gavin, did, did DeSantis have his breakout moment last night? No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, you know, even his tone of voice that a lot of the shallow people look forward to or look for is weak. He has that squeaky little voice. Um, talk with conviction. Uh, you know, talk with a deeper voice. Uh, it's just, and, and Hannity, I thought Hannity could have called out a lot of times. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Newsom, please start answering the questions. Please start answering these questions. Um, they just let them go off and go off. And, um, you know, of course, Newsom looks more polished in a way and a little cocky, confident. Um, and that's a shame, it, it, you know, because the guy has nothing, nothing in the terms of a resume going for him. Well, listen, he's a slime ball, no doubt about it. Hey, Joe, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. 855-839-1210 is the number if you want to weigh in today on all the things we are discussing. So, you know, there's a lot going on. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, too, right now, the interesting thing about what's happening in China, I don't know if you're following this or not, but... Uh, A couple of senators are now calling for a China travel ban to prevent this mystery illness that's starting to spread. The senators wrote to President Biden demanding he immediately restrict travel between the United States and China. But of course, China Joe is not going to do that because China Joe, uh, he's owned by China. He's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. So he's not going to do that. You know that and I know that. But it's nice that they're asking because this virus, this this pneumonia seems to be spreading and possibly could be the next pandemic. Uh, But nothing's going to change in terms of that. Come on. Come on, please. Now, next week, uh, Fauci, Asanto Fauci, Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor, you always have to say that by law, will be in front of Congress. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of questions they are going to ask him, but I think Rand Paul had an excellent point when he was speaking with Maria Bartiromo on this. And this is a great question regarding the CIA. You know, uh, we had the, what, 60th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's assassination recently. And I mentioned to you on the air that day, I think there's something like, and ballpark it, you know, 5,000 documents that are still classified, maybe more. And you just got to wonder why, you know, and this report that came out that in the earliest days of COVID-19, earliest days of the pandemic, the CIA worked to make everybody believe it was, it didn't come from the lab. It came from an undercooked bat burger with a side of pangolin fries and a raccoon dog aioli. Undercooked. Clearly, because if you don't cook that bat to medium well, you get a pandemic. Uh, Why was the CIA involved in that? Why was the CIA involved? So then I get into my really, really conspiratorial mind here for a second. And I say, is that because the people within the deep state who wanted Donald Trump gone because he wouldn't give them any new wars? knew that if they could prove that this was intentionally done by China, it would help Trump. And so they worked to make everybody believe it came from a wet market. 
I don't know. I can't I can't I can't imagine another scenario, but I could easily see the same bureaucrats of the CIA who were involved in making everybody believe that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, making everybody believe that the virus came from a wet market so that it could sound like a natural pandemic and China wouldn't be blamed for a bioweapon, which could have actually helped Trump. If you think about it, China was targeting America to try to stop him could have actually helped. I don't know. Cut number four. And we kind of expect a cover-up in a totalitarian country, but we wouldn't expect it in our country. But immediately, Anthony Fauci joined the Chinese government in covering it up. Not only for them, but covering up his involvement in this. And this is a real question. When Winstrup's committee brings Anthony Fauci forward for testimony, for a deposition, they need to get to the bottom of, was he the top of the chain? Was he the top of the food chain with the cover-up? Or was there someone else? There are now indications that somehow the CIA thought that this came from the lab, as I do, and they voted six to one, the analysts, that it came from the lab, but then they were reversed. Were they reversed because Anthony Fauci was visiting the CIA and influencing them, or was it the reverse? Was Anthony Fauci visiting the CIA and someone high up in the CIA was influencing Anthony Fauci? Now, the hard part is, is many people don't tell the truth. He's been under deposition before in the Missouri versus Biden case, and I think he said, I don't recall more than Bill Clinton ever has. And so whether or not we'll get the truth from him, hopefully they'll have the data to probe into exact truthful or untruthful answers by uh, looking back and having him look at data that they have to impeach him. But uh, we need to get to the bottom of this because this could happen again. And I think Anthony Fauci has never really fully accepted and taken the guilt, not only for the funding, but just for the terrible judgment. You know, he's the guy who said in 2012 that if a pandemic should occur from an accident in a lab, that it would be worth it, that the knowledge gained would be worth it. Wow. There are many eminent scientists now who disagree with that. Okay, I mean, yeah, it would be worth it. It would be worth it. Uh, 855-839-1210. Then the, the, the question then becomes, if you, get, if you get Fauci in there and you start asking him all these questions, will they also get into the censorship industrial complex and what happened there? So with that, Matt DeSantis, let us go to Matt Taibbi. Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were in front of the uh, committee discussing the Twitter files. Now, remember something. We found out that former FBI officials working with the Aspen Institute, corporate media, social media, to pre-bunk the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, we'll get into the COVID aspect of this, too. But whether it's COVID or it's Hunter Biden, my point to you is you can see the deep state the unholy triad here of the government, corporate media and social media, big tech working together to control the narrative and control the information. Cut number one. I think the most alarming thing that we, we saw was the regular stream, uh, organized stream of communication between uh, the FBI, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the largest tech companies in the country. Uh, they had an organized system for flagging content, uh, not occasionally, but in enormous numbers uh, involving spreadsheets of accounts that ran to the hundreds and thousands. Um, and this was shocking to us and uh, to the congressman's point. This isn't crazy conspiracy theory. We've already had four federal judges uh, rule that they believe this, violate, this activity violates the First Amendment. Uh, this is quite serious. We didn't know whether it was against the law, but we certainly thought it was shocking uh, enough to be in the public interest. And that, for me, was the most serious thing. 
Yeah, for me, it was seeing the uh, so-called former FBI officials within Twitter uh, and working with and other groups, including this Aspen Institute, participating in an effort to so-called pre-bunk the Hunter Biden laptop before it was ever published in the New York Post, and then to get it censored uh, by Twitter in violation of Twitter's own terms of service, whose internal staff had concluded that the New York Post tweet had not violated their terms of service, and they censored it anyway. Mr. Schellenberg, I want to ask you further that revolving door between the FBI and Twitter, and I also want to ask about those third-party, essentially government proxies. You referenced the Aspen Institute. Can you delve deeper into both of those questions, both of those topics? Sure. It was the former general counsel of the FBI, Jim Baker, and the former uh, deputy director of the FBI had both taken jobs at Twitter. There were so many FBI people uh, at uh, Twitter that they had their own internal group um, and their own little uh, crib sheet to describe the, the difference between the terms that they use at the FBI versus at Twitter. CIA um, had it as well. Yeah, CIA as well had their own little internal group. CIA. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the, the second question? The third-party proxies. Oh, like yeah. The well, Aspen then the Aspen Institute, this was the weirdest thing. We discovered that Aspen Institute had created a workshop that it was attended by basically all of the major media, including, as well as all the major social media platforms, to basically pre-bunk in advance the Hunter Biden laptop, even though it had not been, there was no evidence that 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 it, that, that it existed outside of the fact that the FBI knew that it, they had it because they got it in December 2019. Now, it's interesting that the CIA is so heavily involved in all these things, right? It's not, I mean, it's just a total coincidence. The CIA just happens to be involved in this. The CIA happens to be involved in co- covering up the origins of COVID-19. <coughs> You see what I mean when I tell you that Donald Trump, who's going to be the nominee, and look, you can accuse me of being a Trumper. I'm not. I'm just simply giving you my political analysis. That's all I'm doing. It's all I've ever done. I, this is what I did in 2016. To keep everyone sane in 2016, I didn't back anybody. All I did was analyze the race. So you had national hosts yelling at people and there was fighting. And, and then I, I had to bring everybody back together. That's the style I adopt. It's just how it has to be. So I call balls and strikes and Trump's going to be the nominee. And that's just the way it is. Barring something cataclysmic that changes things. I can't see the future. I don't have a, 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 the ability. I'm not Nostra freaking Damas here. But he's such a threat to the deep state because clearly the power of these people, I mean, the CIA to orchestrate this kind of stuff behind the scenes with just such impunity without worrying about any consequences whatsoever. It really does make you think the CIA has done a lot of other stuff. But why would the bureaucrats in the CIA want to stop Trump from becoming president and cover for China? And it's the same reason why they got involved with with covering up for Joe Biden to make sure that Trump would not be president when they did that with the Hunter Biden laptop. So uh, here's another clip of Taibbi as he was doing this with Michael Schellenberger today. A lot of great stuff that came out of this uh, this hearing. I mean, really, really good stuff. They talked. Uh, Michael Schellenberger talked about. Um. Social media censorship is actually a form of election interference. Cut number two. Do you believe that this censorship is a form of election interference? I, absolutely it is. There's no question in my mind. Mr. Taibbi? Yes, I think it, it certainly can be. Um, in the latest story that we uh, did on the CTI League, uh, we saw the overt partisanship okay. of the people involved is that, in is this. Is that it? Uh, or is it still playing? I, I'm having trouble hearing that. Sorry, yeah, that one was a little bit low. It was a little bit low. All right. Is this a low talker? It's like the Seinfeld. 
Uh, all right, let's try to cut number three then. Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi on the harms that censorship caused during the pandemic. Now, this is important leading up to Fauci's testimony, okay? Fauci's testimony coming. Uh, this is important. Cut number three. In a very short order, I have to go uh, up here before the CDC director, Dr. Cohen. Please talk about the treasure trove of evidence that you have found with regard to the CDC silencing world-renowned epidemiologists such as Dr. Jay Bhattacharya and the impact that that has had on public health and the health of various Americans around the country because of the work of the CDC and FDA silencing these voices. Time of the gentlewoman has expired, but that the witnesses can respond and answer Thank the question. You. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Just very briefly, uh, during a crisis, you need free speech so you can respond, you can have these issues, you can debate them. And what we saw was both Harvard epidemiologist uh, Martin Kildoff um, and Stanford epidemiologist Jay Bhattacharya were both censored. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya was put on a trans blacklist. The things that they were advocating was mainstream epidemiology. Um, and their voices were stifled, and we now have seen the consequences of it, most particularly this horrendous learning loss among children that could have been avoided if we had adopted uh, what Dr. Bhattacharya was recommending. Mr. Just quickly, if I could, yeah, the, sure. the, the trans blacklist uh, image that we saw with Dr. Bhattacharya, that was one of the very first things that we found uh, in the Twitter files. And it was a, uh, an early example of what, um, what we came to understand as malinformation. Uh, it's the idea of something that's not untrue or it is true, but uh, is believed to produce an undesirable uh, political result. Um, this is extremely dangerous. Dr. Bhattacharya has had a legitimate scientific opinion. He turned out to be correct. Uh, his study was later uh, ratified by the WHO. Um, and but it was considered to be um, against the policies of the current government. And so he became one of the most suppressed people in the country during 2020 and 21, which is exactly what the First Amendment was designed to prevent. 855-839-1210. But who are these people? Who are the censors? The censor class, the censorati, who are these people? Well, it turns out they're never just ordinary people, you understand. These are not just ordinary people. These are very, very powerful people. Obviously, these are very powerful people. Cut number four. About these new anti-disinformation programs that is never discussed but needs to be. Who does this work? Stanford's Election Integrity Project helpfully made a graphic showing the quote-unquote external stakeholders involved in their content review operation. It showed four columns, government, civil society, platforms, and media. There's one group that's conspicuously absent from that list. People. Ordinary people. Whether America continues the informal sub-Rosa censorship system uh, we've seen in the, Twitter in the Twitter files or the Facebook files, or whether it formally adopts something like Europe's draconian New Digital Services Act, it's already abundantly clear who won't be involved in this kind of work. There'll be no dock workers doing content flagging. No poor people from inner-city neighborhoods, no single moms pulling multiple waitressing jobs, no immigrant store owners or Uber drivers. These programs will always feature a tiny, rarefied sliver of affluent professional-class Americans censoring a huge and ever-expanding pool of everyone else. Take yep. away the highfalutin talk about countering hate and reducing harm, and anti-disinformation is just 
a bluntly elitist gatekeeping exercise. If you prefer to think in progressive terms, it's class war. If one small demographic over here has broad control over the whole speech landscape, and a great big one over there has no control whatsoever, it follows that one of those groups will end up with more political power than the other. Which one is the, is the winner? To paraphrase Ira Glasser, it probably ain't yours. It isn't just one side or the other that will lose if these programs are allowed to continue. It's pretty much everyone, which is why these programs must be defunded before it's too late. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Mr. 855-839-1210 is the number if you want to weigh in. We got a lot more to talk about today, including Juicy Smollett. Yes, Jesse Smollett, uh, an appeals court upholding his conviction. We'll get to the bottom of that with you. Absolutely. But listen, Christmas is right around the corner. The holidays are here. What are you doing? You got to do this. You got to do what I did. What I just did to my friend Guido Forcellini. Great guy. I did my floors. And so I sent him some Omaha steaks as a gift. Uh, he was thrilled. They had lobster tails in there. They had ready-to-prepare, easy-to-prepare comfort meals. Uh, delicious stuff. And here's why these steaks are so much better than the low-energy steaks you get at the grocery store, okay? I'm going to tell you why. Because they age every one of their steaks for a minimum of 28 days. 28 days is the perfect aging time. Todd Simon, the CEO, fifth-generation family member, they believe in this principle. Low energy steaks at the grocery store, they're not age 28 days. Most likely they're not. And this is the best beef from America's heartland. And here's the best part. You go to omahasteaks.com, put in my name, Zioli. You get an additional $30 off your order. Why? Because I love you. No, because really, that's, it shows them that you support the show. So put in Zioli, Z-E-O-L-I at checkout, and get an additional $30 off your order. So they know I sent you. You know, don't, don't do any of the other deals. Just do that one, right? And then it's 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use my name, you're also going to get additional $30 off. So some tender, juicy butcher's cut filet mignons, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, and even easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. This will not last long. They're ready to ship your order right away, so get to it. Remember, nobody ever returns steak. They return sweaters. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart. And this is the season for you to skip the guesswork and give them something they will love. I'll tell you, when you understand the quality here, it's why Omaha Steaks has the absolute best guarantee in the business, bar none. Bar none. And in an age of China buying up farmland and these big conglomerates, it's nice to know we still have family-run businesses like Omaha Steaks, where they bring you the absolute best. OmahaSteaks.com. Promo code Zioli. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. Oh, yeah. We'll chat with Daniel Turner at 5 o'clock. You know, the uh, COP28 climate change is in town. Climate change summit's in town. So uh, a lot of fun on that. I I think we nailed it before, gentlemen, though, when I said, uh, who does the U.N. chief Gutierrez sound like? And we came up with Gutierrez grew from despicable me and i think we nailed it there and of course the best part about that is like a typical zioli show segment i completely gloss over anything he's saying because it really doesn't matter and it's irrelevant uh, what was that oh is that just a mistake just, yeah trying to bring up some more grew give me some grew <laughs> yeah give me a little grew tierras <laughs> we spent the first hour of the show really trying to figure out who he sounds like the u.n chief and uh, if you've been with me a long time, you know that I, I, I get a kick out of doing stuff like this. 
because the world is crazy and I got to talk about it every day for four hours a day for a living. It's my job. I, I, I sometimes need a little distraction or diversion. And so if it gives me a little time, a little joy to be able to compare the UN chief to Dracula and Count Chocula and the Sesame Count and ultimately decide on he's grew from Despicable Me, the minions, well then fine, so be it. But I'm happy you're happy, damn it. Happy host, happy life. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's actually the saying, but it's very close to that. <laughs> that doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> happy, happy host, host happy host does the most. Happy host, happy most of the time. <laughs> I guess. I'm not. Even if you're happy, I'm still stuck in this room with Henry. Though, That's so true. That's you, true. you are. You, you, you I, poor bastard. Wow, that, that was a stray. Okay. Ouch. Good unnecessary shot, if you ask me. Yeah. All right, give Seriously. me a little Gru and then a little Gutierrez. Let's hear it. Let's all do right. it. Here's Gru. One who stole the pyramids. Apparently, it's a big deal. People are calling it the crime of the century and stuff like that. But am I upset? No, I am not. A little, but we have had a pretty good year ourselves. Now, Gutierrez, give me Just the- days ago, I was on the melting ice of Antarctica. It is uncanny. Not long before. It's uncanny. I was among the melting... Right? Keep it going. Is. Keep going with it. Keep going. Melting glaciers of Nepal. These two spots are far in distance, but united in crisis. Polar ice and glaciers are vanishing before our eyes, causing a walk the world over. I still have no idea what he says there. No, no. I, I mean, Is that what he said? Rock the world over? Hold on. I want to hear it again. We have to figure this out. It's driving me nuts now. This is like the fourth time we've listened to this portion of it, and I still can't discern what's happening here. Polar ice and glaciers are vanishing before our eyes, causing a walk the world over. From landslides and floods to rising seas. I still have no idea. I have no idea. But I know what Gru says. What does Gru say? Well, he says he says this. And you guys are all right in my book. <laughs> no, no races. You're not going to get any Gru Tierras, he's happy when he's with his other world-dominating minions at the clim- COP28 climate change summit. You said you're not paying attention to the substance of what Gutierrez says, but yeah. I, I think you should, because what if in his speech, you know, to combat climate change, he wants to steal the moon? <laughs> Did Gru do that? Did he steal yeah, the moon? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what he's doing in this scene, where he's like, yeah, the pyramids, that was a pretty good, you know, pretty good plan, but we're going to steal the moon. I love, well, well you, you may not be wrong on that, because, I mean, here's uh, Gutierrez calling for ending fossil fuel subsidies. And adopting a windfall tax on profits, kind of similar to stealing the moon, I think. Cut number three. The economics are clear. The global shift to renewables is inevitable. The only question is how much heating our planet will endure before it happens. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is recommending ending our addiction to coal by 2030 in OECD countries and 2040 for the rest of the world. At the same time, According to the International Energy Agency, the oil and gas industry accounts for just 1% of clean energy investments. So allow me to have a message for fossil fuel company leaders. Your old world is rapidly aging. Do not double down on an obsolete business model. Lead the transition to renewables using the resources you have available. Make no mistake. 
the road to climate sustainability is also the only viable pathway to economic sustainability of your companies in the future. And I urge governments to help industry make the right choice by regulating, legislating, putting a fair price on carbon, ending fossil fuel subsidies and adopting a windfall tax on profits. Oh, yes, you're exactly right. He wants to steal the moon. Give me one more of uh, Gru and the Pyramids just so we can understand exactly the evil mastermind plot. Well, we stole the Times Square Jumbotron. See, this is what they do. This is what the evil minions do. Uh, 855-839-1210. Coming up, Daniel Turner. We'll talk about the COP28 climate summit and uh, all of the nonsense that is coming out of there. Uh, We will give you the latest on that. So don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, this is the drive at 5 30 minutes of non stop talk with Rich Zioli. Yes, the COP28 Climate Change Conference is well underway. And wow, it's underway right now. All the rich, elite, powerful mind brokers of the world are deciding how many bugs you and I will get in our daily allotment. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Daniel Turner, my man, power of the future, executive director and founder Daniel, are you calling me from Dubai right now? I wish. It seems like everybody is in Dubai, but but you and me. And, you know, I've heard it's a great time. Um, Every time the U.N. has any of these conferences, I know this growing up in New York City, um, every time the U.N. has a conference, the number of hookers and cocaine goes through the roof. So I, I am sure this party is absolutely off the hook. It's Friday night in Dubai. Can you imagine the scene right now? All to save the climate yes to save the climate exactly climate justice uh you know what i love too daniel i love the fact that this is taking place in dubai i mean this is the greatest wink and a nod i've ever seen in my life this is a country that is all in on oil as they're hosting the climate change conference so they're getting it on both ends they're they're getting all the the host fees and the royalties and all the 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 tourism dollars and they're also letting people kind of pretend like they're not doing what they're doing, which is building new islands to drill. Absolutely. I mean, that's where Dubai is absolutely brilliant to bring in an estimated 40,000 people, all of whom need hotels, all of whom are are eating and drinking. And so, yeah, the revenue that is being generated by this is insane. And, you know, uh, heck, uh, how many times did the Eagles host their enemies at the stadium? You know, we'll gladly have the Cowboys drink our beer and uh, and eat our food because it's revenue for the stadium. So, yeah, hosting your climate enemies is a smart move because they, they spend money like everybody else. It, it's just it's so absurd that they are hosting it in Dubai, which, as you said, is is all built on oil. And, and God love them from being built on oil. Right. Texas is built on oil. A lot of 
old school Pennsylvania is built on oil. Um, so I love it, right? I love oil. I think it's great. But there's a reason why Dubai has the most extravagant hotel in the world right now. There's a reason why it has the world's tallest building. And it's because they have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. They build indoor ski resorts in the desert because they are flush with cash. They're not giving up oil anytime soon. And it's just a farce to pretend that anybody actually in the world is giving up, let alone the 40,000 yahoos who couldn't be bothered to jump on a Zoom meeting, right? They had to go in person. Yeah, exactly. Why? Why? That's a great point. Why couldn't they just zoom it? I got. I'm still doing Zoom calls. I, I constantly. Uh, I'm, I'm doing Zoom. Everybody's doing Zoom, but not when you want to save the world, Daniel Turner. Then you gotta. You gotta yeah. go in, into an airplane. Well, look. Look at the juxtaposition. Right. Just a couple years ago, all of your kids, all of your family, they were told they had to go to class on Zoom. For, for months, for a year even, they had to go to class on Zoom because there was a crisis. And we said, all right, as a crisis. Well, they're saying now there's a crisis that's driven by fossil fuels, so we need to spend fossil fuels to address the crisis, right? The logic doesn't pertain to them. And of course it doesn't pertain to them because the elites who are at this conference right now are the same elites who thwarted all of the COVID crisis rule, right? They all gathered. They all had part. When Barack Obama was caught having a 60th birthday extravaganza in flagrant violation of Martha's Vineyard, of Martha's Vineyard's uh, COVID policies, he put out a statement to say it's a sophisticated crowd. Um, they know what's happening. And they were like, oh, cool. No, it's all good, right? It's sophisticated. So Obama doesn't have to follow the rules. But if you had a, a, a catch in your backyard with a kid, the neighbor was calling the police on you. So apply that level of crises, right? Apply that level of hysteria to the COVID, pe- to the climate people, and they'll say, no, 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 it's different for us, right? It's different. We, we get to meet in person because we're important. So just shut up and put on your mask or shut up and get rid of your electric leaf, your, your gas-powered leaf blower, whatever the new mask is. That's what they're telling us to do. You know, Daniel Turner, there was a story. I forget where, which newspaper had it, but it was a, a, a really, really rich couple that built this, like, sprawling, sprawling mansion. Did you see the story? And they were lauded by the paper. I don't know if it was the New York Times or the Washington Post. Uh, for for being uh, for their carbon footprint, uh, their 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 neutral carbon footprint. These very very wealthy, lavish people with their massive house. I did not see that, but but of course, you know, when you are of a certain class, the rules don't apply. And and similarly, I'm thinking of the king, King Charles. Right, he is there right now. He gave this speech early today where he talked about how the world can continue like this, right? It cannot continue as if this will last forever. That same sort of language, we're all in this together. Um, King Charles is going to go spend uh, about two weeks in a house called Sandringham. It's where his ancestors for years spend Christmas. It's 20,000 acres, right? It's hundreds of servants. It's a footprint bigger than your entire life. And he does it for two weeks because his ancestors did, his great-great-grandparents did, and that's what you get to do when you're the king. Now, I don't begrudge him that, right? He's a king. I'm not. But, but the difference is that he wants me to change my lifestyle, and, and gosh darn it, I have earned my carbon footprint. King Charles, you merely inherited your carbon footprint. <laughs> but I have earned my carbon footprint. So when you change your lifestyle, the king... 
the prime minister and the Euro- <laughs> and the and the uh, the British Secretary of State, what they call the foreign minister. All three of them took three separate private jets to go to Dubai to tell you, Rich Zioli, that you have to give up your gas-powered car. We fought a revolution for less. And, and so, Your Majesty, you, you know, shove it. I, I'm sorry. Like, I am not going to listen to you lecture me on my carbon footprint when you own literally hundreds of thousands of acres and have hundreds and hundreds of servants you tell me about your damn carbon footprint, and I'll tell you about mine. Daniel Turner is the founder and executive director of Power the Future, and it's always great to have him here. And props for invoking Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Well done, my friend. Well done. <laughs> Don't think that Thank was lost you. on me. Thank you. I appreciate that. But that's kind of how I feel at this point. And I'm not calling for violence. I'm not calling. But there is a certain level of anger, and it is deep, deep, deep in the American DNA, right? Especially in your great city, where not long ago, people gathered and said, you know, WTF, like, what is happening? Who who the hell are you to tell me, well, you know what, you have to put these troops in your house, because I have thus declared it, I'm the king. We don't want a king. And, And the fact that people like John Kerry are over there with him, cozying up to him saying, you're right, well, they all need to change their lifestyle, pass the champagne, you know, these are these are petty little tyrants um, who, who would gladly lock you up for your carbon footprint just the way they would lock you up if you refuse to wear a mask. Right. They are a threat to you and your freedom. And you have to fight them because if not, they will destroy you. You know, the other part, part about it, too, which I think is interesting, is that uh, I read this article the other day where they talked about. Uh, alternative protein sources, which, again, the left mm. always loves to add lots of words unnecessarily. They love to make word salads, no pun intended. But, of course, what they mean by that is literally eating bugs. And that was a conspiracy mm. theory. Remember, just like they were coming to get your gas stove was a conspiracy theory and lab grown chicken. But you also see Bill Gates buying up farmland. You, you see him doing that for a reason, which is to shut down farming. I mean, these people are sinister and they do have a, a belief in the future There was one guy, we played the clip the other day, talking about how they would use genetically modified mosquitoes. I swear, I thought I was watching a Bond movie. Genetically Mm -hmm. modified mosquitoes to bite people to make them intolerant to meat so that we could stop eating meat. These people are freaking insane. They are. I I mean, they generally are misanthropes. They, They hate humanity. They hate people. And, you know, you're right. The conspiracy theory of we're not coming for your gas stove. I mean, they will come for the most intimate part of your life, how you commute to work, right? Look at the way they, they want to come after the things that you read and say. They want to come after your radio show because they don't like the fact that you're voicing these opinions. They want to come after your diet, right? They want to come after literally your leaf blower. Third time I've mentioned it because it's not a joke. Many states have already banned gas-powered leaf blowers, right? So, yeah, they will come after absolutely every little intimate part of your life, unless it comports to their agenda. And, and again, deep in our American DNA is that rebellion, is that revolution that says no. That freedom is, is enormous and it is, it is glorious, but it also is, is fragile. And, and we have been fighting tyranny for millennia. It's not going to end anytime soon. And this is just the newest form of tyranny. I always liken it to COVID because it's deep in our memory and it wasn't that long ago. Um, but if you think they would do this stuff for COVID, where do you see what they will do for the climate? And you mentioned eating the bugs. You mentioned giving up your car. 
Where do you say, I mean, you have folks all across the country, including your governor, who know that their electric grids are precarious as we head into winter, but they're not thwarting the green agenda. And if people die, they will be necessary consequences. Heck, they let your grandparents drown in their lung fluid rather than lie that let them try to take hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. You don't think they would let your grandparents freeze to death rather than fire up a gas-powered uh, uh, stove? Well, I mean, the, the story in the Wall Street Journal, they had a, the editorial board, New York's <clears throat> near zombie apocalypse, the city came close to an electric grid shutdown last winter. And it says mm-hmm. that FERC and the North uh, American Electric Reliability Corporation published a 168-page review of the electricity and natural gas problems during winter storm Elliott last December. It was the fifth time in 11 years that power plant failures caused by cold weather jeopardized the grid reliability. At the same time, demand for electricity to heat homes is is ramping up. Many gas generators failed. I mean, it's a perfect storm, really, as we keep hooking more things up to the grid. And, yeah. and 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 our grid is not sustainable, but our grid also needs a power source. It's not like the grid is a magic grid that is powered by, you know, unicorn toots. I mean, you got Something's got to power the grid. I feel like people yeah. don't know that. I mean, that's the other the great scam about this, too. It's like, you know, a cop 28, there's going to be a lot of electric vehicles there and they're all going to drive around and show off the latest styles and innovations. And then again, the dirty little secret, of course, is that they will hook it up to an electric grid at the end of the day. And it will be charged by an electric grid powered by Dubai's oil supply. <laughs> exactly. The, the EVs in Dubai are a little like little Cub Scout Pete Buttigieg taking the bike out of the back of his SUV for the cameras. Right. It, it is all just show. It is just the last little bit for the cameras. But again, they all flew on. I mean, they've documented hundreds of private jets in, in, in Dubai right now. And, and, you know, they will, they will not give up their lifestyle. They will not curtail their lifestyle. The simplest form, and I say this almost every weekend, almost every Friday without fail, Joe Biden marches himself across the lawn at noon, gets on a helicopter to get on Air Force One to fly to Wilmington, where a fleet of SUVs picks him up because he wants to go home for the weekend. And he will return on Sunday 48 hours later and do the exact same thing. And not once has he said, you know what, for my carbon footprint's sake, I'm going to just stay in the White House this weekend. Nope. Joe Biden is not changing his lifestyle one second. Neither is John Kerry. Neither is Bill Gates. But you and I, you and I have to start eating bugs for the climate. And when you when you put those two scenarios together and you realize that they are not voluntarily embracing any of the things they want to force you with all of the power of government that they want to force you to do, then you just distill the very simple truth. These guys are a threat. These guys are tyrannical. This is tyranny. And, and they have to be defeated. Uh, you know, I, I do this every day for a living. And the more I look at them, the more I realize what a threat they are to you, your family, your freedom. And, and God willing, global warming works this winter. And we don't have a cold winter. God willing, the whole Northeast is hot. I would rather deal with four months of stories of how hot it is in the Northeast than deal with four months of freezing cold and hundreds, if not thousands, of deaths, because that will be just devastating. Well said, my friend. Daniel Turner, power of the future. Always a pleasure, buddy. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Rich. Always great to be with you, buddy. Five o'clock happy hour is brought to you by the Oceanfront Grand Hotel of Cape May. 
save 15% on midweek stays, Sunday through Thursday, now till December 31st. Just mention the promo code Zioli at GrandHotelGameMade.com. Let me throw this out there. Let's see. This is in Haverford. Haverford, Pennsylvania. Purchased for $680,000. Jason Kelsey. He's bought up this land. He's only 36 years old. And uh, he's bought this up to build a giant mansion. It's, It's in Haverford. It's spread across an acre of land. Boasts picturesque views and luxurious amenities. My question is how soon until Taylor Swift comes to visit the house in Haverford? Huh? How soon? Huh? Do you think maybe he bought this new house so that Taylor could, um, you know, maybe live there with Travis? Well, I think I think they, he bought it to put a house. My in my opinion, she's so freaking annoying that he he bought a bigger land to make a, a separate guest quarters, so he never had to see her. That's yeah. my theory. You don't think she's going to stay in the one hundred and twenty thousand dollar property? <laughs> <laughs> she's not going to live there. It's a little beneath her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's making a huge upgrade here. Oh, you know who else is making an upgrade? McDonald's. They, they um, the story you sent me, I, I'm definitely hungry. I've not eaten yet today. Uh, this is what happens. I did Jimmy Fallon's show today and then I'm starving. So McDonald's is overhauling their hamburgers. And if these pictures are anything like what they look like, they're going to look, I mean, it looks delicious. They've decided now they're going to have more special sauce, more cheese and it might even be real cheese (laughs) it's melty cheese now yeah melty cheese (laughs) i love that they conceded that they haven't really been giving us their best but now things are changing yeah we've now figured out the science behind how to get cheese to melt um why don't you just use real cheese well you know we just figured instead we tinker with the chemical formula it's a lot easier have you guys seen the uh the new spinoff restaurant to mcdonald's uh no it's called cosmics like c-o-s-m-c's yeah i don't know it's supposed it's popping up in uh chicago i think it's really uh, yeah i don't know what they're doing i'm a fan of smash burger i like their stuff a lot mm-hmm. they're really good um I, they're kind of my go-to shake shack i i like them because they didn't get rid of their potato roll Love which is shake a martin's shack. potato roll so yep good. And even though the Martins family got into some controversy over his political donations to the Republican gubernatorial candidate in this last cycle in Pennsylvania, they stuck with him. Unlike that low energy chicken shack, Federal Donuts, overhyped, they got rid of the bun. Place so, isn't even that good. I no, don't think. it's not. It I'm really not, even, not. I'm not even saying that due to a political dis- disagreement. I genuinely don't think their food's that good. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not. And and I waited in line for hours to get their donuts once at a at a Phillies game. <laughs> hours i'm not even kidding the fryer was broken and i you know we had had a couple pops and i just kind of stood there waiting lost track of time and got back with the donuts i think the game was over but everyone was like this this is this wasn't worth the wait you know so did you notice that the uh new big mac is supposed to have a brioche bun yeah you know i did notice that and, and this is <laughs> this is exactly what brings up one of our earliest battles you with your love of brioche buns. Low energy, buttery, unnecessary, no. McDonald's has clearly taken my side in the great debate. Awful. You won the polling battle. I'm willing to concede but does the, that. Does but the Big Mac really need it, though? That's no! the thing. No, oh, it doesn't. Amazing. It's going to be amazing. It'll, it'll improve it, but I don't think it needed it. I like, you know, I like the sesame seed bun. I thought you meant the competitor to McDonald's, uh, McDowell's. <laughs> which, uh, you know, I love to see where he goes, 
our 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 burgers both have two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a bun, but there's no seeds on our bun. <laughs> and that's the difference. McDonald's has a sesame seed bun. There's no seeds on our bun. I love that's one of the all time classic lines coming to America. <laughs> Everything we know about the new McDonald's chain cosmic. Uh, so tell me, so I'm looking at this now. So what, what basically is, is, is this part of McDonald's? Yes. Like, is this, it is. Yes. It's under their Oh, so it's branch. a spinoff it's a spin-off, of yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. And it's, what is it? No, there's no people there. What's the I, distinction here? I don't know. I, I just saw this for the first time yesterday. I'm, I, I don't know. I thought it'd be funny because we brought, we're talking about McDonald's. It's a, it's about it's based on an obscure McDonaldland character from the late 80s. So I don't know if you have more experience to speak to that. If that rings any bells. No. I'm looking at the character right now. This is a terrible ad from it looks like 1987. I don't know why they would choose this little guy to base an entire uh what is it? Is it actually like a restaurant? Yeah, it's built. There's like a restaurant there. Like people are taking pictures by wow. it and everything. Uh can I ask you another question too? Sure. Um, let's see. The other question I want to ask is if we are going to eat bugs in the future, will they come with a brioche bun or not? <laughs> I hope they come with that, uh, Big Mac sauce at least. That always delicious, right? Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I want to w- find ways to make money in life. You know, I mean, I love doing radio. This is my calling and everything like that, obviously. Uh, but <clears throat> this guy in Florida, uh, he's, he's got something special cooking here. This guy, I think... My new hero. He's got so, something special. This guy's there. got the secret sauce, no pun intended, to how to make the money. Um, so this Florida man, what is this, a news story here? Is this a news report? Uh, so this is snippets of the guy because I couldn't take any more than like 15 seconds, and I think you'll agree with me. <laughs> uh, take a listen. I just love Titanic on VHS, my favorite movie. September 1st, 1998, take the voyage home. That's what they were saying. That's what I was playing on the VCR. I was watching this thing over and over and over again. So he has now, let's see, he has a total of 2,467 copies of the 1997 film Titanic on VHS. And he's looking to sell for a million dollars. No, he's looking to get a million copies of the VHS tapes. Oh, he's trying to... Um, no, it says he he has amassed this collection. No, he wants to get to a million copies. Oh. Yeah. he he Evidently, the 2,467 <laughs> copies aren't enough. Can I ask you a question? How many subsidies is this guy on that he has time to do this all day? There's no way he's working. No, you can't work. If, you're, if your day begins and ends by trying to figure out how many copies of Titanic you can get, trust me. You need a freaking job, all right? And the room he has them stored in, it, it looks like the walls are made of VHS tapes. This is the same guy who would take a class on Taylor Swift at Harvard. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd like to believe he wouldn't be at Harvard, but who knows? I'm just pointing out to you, okay? Uh, all right. So we have a couple other things to get to that's actually serious business to get to before the show ends today, including Juicy Smollett. Uh, Jesse Smollett, we found out now today an appeals court upheld his conviction. Here is a little montage when Juicy came out and said that he was, uh, I guess, uh, stalked by a couple of in 20 degree below Chicago weather at, you know, in in a freezing cold night, uh, stalked by a couple of MAGA white supremacists with rope, noose and bleach 
after that Fugazi story came out, here's a little media montage of all the people in the corporate media assuming that Juicy Smollett was absolutely telling the truth and that this is signs of Donald Trump's racist America. Take a listen. Beaten with a noose around his neck and hospitalized. Empire star Jesse Smollett was the victim of a vicious, racist, and homophobic attack. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Racial and homophobic slurs. The offenders uttered, this is MAGA country. The hate crime went down early this morning in Chicago. Officials are investigating the alleged assault as a hate crime. And now police say they're investigating this as a possible hate crime. This is this is stomach-turning, mind-boggling mm-hmm. information. It's, it's out of control. And- Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tweeting the racist, homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. And Senator Cory Booker said the vicious attack on actor Jesse was an attempted modern-day lynching. Kamala Harris calling the attack an attempted modern-day lynching. But I'm so shaken by the story. <sighs> this is horrible to report. This is a horrible story. Ellie, this is a horrible story. Yeah. I mean, the circumstances are just horrific. Absolutely despicable. Yeah, a lot of people can't believe this is actually happening in 2019. It's hard to believe that we're reporting, that we're even saying words like this in 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm. And this is America in 2019. Mm. This is America. This is Donald Trump's America. Except it isn't. It was a fugazi, the ultimate hate crime hoax fugazi. The ultimate. Of ultimates. By the way, a federal judge has blocked Montana's TikTok ban. I, I told you this was going to happen. When Montana passed their ban on TikTok, uh, I said at the time, this is never going to hold constitutional muster. It's not going to work. And the a federal judge has now put a stay on this. I'm not surprised by the judge's decision here. A federal judge blocked the first in the nation ban of TikTok. U.S. District Judge Donald Malloy said the ban, which was scheduled to take effect January 1, overstepped state power and was clearly an attempt to target China's ostensible role in TikTok more than an effort to protect Montana consumers. The ban could still be reinstated as part of a still unscheduled trial that will review its legal authority, but in a preliminary injunction halting the ban filed late Thursday, Malloy said TikTok had offered the better arguments and demonstrated a likelihood to succeed on the merits. The um, law would have banned the use of the app throughout the state. Uh, This is, again, the problem of when the government bans me from doing something, I don't like it. I I, I understand all the reasons. Again, keep me safe. I mean, we've heard this a million times. There's always a reason to justify taking away my liberty to do something. And it usually is about keeping me safe, in this case, keeping me safe from China. But I I still want to make the choice to do this. Again, if you're a government employee... And they want to ban you from doing it. Fine. That uh, not all in. Yes. Ban military should not use TikTok. Uh, government employees should not use TikTok. Make those bans. And you got my 100 percent support. But you can't ban average Americans from using TikTok. If you want to make a rule that says you can't use TikTok within a, you know, a certain radius of a, a, a I don't know, a, a secret military complex or something. I, sure. Fine. Knock yourself out. But to just broadly ban something. I have a problem with that. I really do. And again, this is the idea that for my own good to protect me, the government's going to take more power. And we, we got to call this out when it's our side that does this. You know, Montana's a Republican governor and this is a Republican legislature. But we got to call it our side when they do this, because this is how we got here. You know, we got to this police state in America because of what we did after 9-11. It was Republicans. It was our side. I mean, our side did this. Our side built up the 
modern day police state in a big, big way. And then our state, our side defended the unconstitutional mass warrant, warrantless, mass warrantless surveillance of, of you and me. That has now led to you being considered a domestic violent extremist and being profiled if you flew to the capital region on January 6, 2021, whether or not you went to the building. You know, all this power you turn over to government. And, if, you know, if you want to do a constitutional amendment in Montana and let the people decide if they want to ban TikTok, I'd be OK with that. I'd be OK with that. But to have the government do it, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. If you ban something that is that I, I as an adult under the guise of keeping me safe, I've got a problem with it. Really do. And if you want to put a constitutional amendment on Montana's ballot to ban TikTok in the state, that's different. I will. I could get behind that because as much as I disagreed with prohibition and I really did, at least they did it the right way. They passed a constitutional amendment to ban alcohol. I, I keep saying this all the time. We now live in a world where the government decides, OK, I'm going to ban a gas stove. See, there were bans that happened that we were OK with and then we didn't say anything. And so, you know, it's the old saying, you know, first they came for this. I didn't say anything. Now they come for my gas stove and now I don't like it. When we banned alcohol in this country, something I, I don't agree with, clearly. <laughs> I mean, it runs through my veins. Uh, I didn't like it, but it was done the right way. It was done by a constitutional amendment to the Constitution. And then they passed another amendment that undid that amendment, ironically enough, the 21st Amendment. So if you're going to do something like take away and do a ban, I, I, I feel like a little input here from the people would be nice. That's just my thing. And I know that they're, they're the elected representatives, but again, we're talking about a ban of something that you, you, you argue, well, China's spying on you. Okay, but my TV might be spying on me. You're going to ban TVs? I mean, I, where do we go with this? Where do we end this? And so you just have government in every aspect of your life for your own good, trying to protect you from, you know, some, some evil company. I, at some point as adults, you got to take responsibility for this stuff yourself. You want to ban kids from doing it? Anyone under 18 can't use TikTok? Okay, fine. I'm all right with that. I mean, children, you know, different levels. I'm okay with that. But 18 and older, I don't, I don't like these kind of bans. I have a real problem with them. Because they only lead to more bans. They only lead to more government and stripping away my freedom. So whether it's banning Skittles or banning TikTok, and I know you might say they're different because China can spy on TikTok. I understand that, but I already told you. I'm fine with it being banned in the military and for every government employee on the planet. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. Though you, you have to give up certain things when you have those jobs. But for ordinary citizens, I think you have a First Amendment right to be on that platform. And if China is spying on us using that platform and you still decide to use that, that's on you. That's on you. And I, 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 nobody has been able to make a convincing argument to me yet that it hurts our national security if some citizen uses that app. Again, if it's a general or if it's a uh, Pentagon you know, intelligence officer, yeah, I get it. And I'm telling you, I support you banning Pentagon intelligence officers from using TikTok. I get it. And I'm fine with that. So that's my take on that. 855-839-1210. Listen, Emmons Roofing and Siding, my great friends at Emmons, I am so happy with the work that they do. And they are doing great things for people throughout our region, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and the Jersey Shore. Emmons Roofing and Siding, my friends Stephanie and Matt and the entire team have done a tremendous service. And now they can bring that same quality of work to all of your kitchen and bathroom 
remodeling needs. Emmons Roofing has really become an all-in-one stop for your roofing, siding, windows, solar, and now baths and kitchens. Trust the team at Emmons that I have used in my own home. Do, do you have a property at the shore? Well, have the team at Emmons come out and take a look at the roof now. Small winter leaks can lead to big costly repairs when the warm weather hits. Call 856-556-3229 today for a free estimate online at EmmonsRoofingAndSiding.com or visit the Emmons Design Showroom in Cherry Hill. That's EmmonsRoofing.com. Make sure to tell them I sent you. I trust them so much. I really do. And that's why I've used them for six years. Why would I do that if, if I didn't believe that Emmons was the absolute best? The absolute best. And reputable and going to do a tremendous, tremendous job. And they will do that for you. All right? So make sure you reach out to them today. EmmonsRoofing.com or you can go to EmmonsRemodeling.com if you like. And if you do that, you'll be able to even go to the Emmons Remodeling Showroom in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. All right. So there you go. Uh, check it out and uh, you'll see it. You'll see firsthand the great work they did. We used them for our kitchen and bathroom remodeling and we were thrilled. All right. And by the way, I made a mistake. The 21st Amendment, uh, that was the one that I think banned liquor, right, Matt DeSantis, if I'm not mistaken? It banned liquor. Uh, I actually don't Let's know. Let's see. The transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of laws thereof is hereby prohibited. So is the 21st that banned it or is the 21st no, the one the that- No, the 21st repealed it. Repealed it. So 18th. which is the one that banned it? I think it was the 18th. 18th. Uh, all those amendments were the worst. <laughs> 16 was terrible. That was the income tax. 17 was the one that ended the uh, the the states sending, sending the senators to D.C. and it made it a popular vote among the state. Of course, the 18th, you're saying that was the one that banned booze. I'm pretty sure. Let me check. The 19th is the worst. That gave women the right to vote. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's the second worst. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Kidding. Just a joke. Anyway, those are all. You know, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a break. That's one that tells you you're going to have a permanent break. Yeah, I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, we'll be right back. Don't go away. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. So good to have you with us today on a Friday. Great to be with you. A lot to chat about. Uh, what did I want to share with you? Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So from the, I played you the Matt Taibbi clips earlier today. Uh, this clip of Debbie Wasserman Schultz is insane. Do you have the one, Matt? This is uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is one of the, first of all, she, you know, her Twisted Sister cover band is outstanding. Have you ever heard them? She does the best D. Snyder impression I have ever, ever seen. I don't know about her singing, but she looks just like Dee Snyder <laughs> to such a degree that it really, the Twisted Sister cover band, she nails it every time. <laughs> nails it! Anyway, um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, can I, uh, can I hear uh, a little bit of her, please? Should social media companies allow rape and murder to be live-streamed by terrorists on their platforms in order to create fear and incite violence? I believe that would violate their terms of service, would it so, not? So your answer is no, it, it should not do, they should not be allowed to do that. Live stream rape and murder? No, right. I, think that, I think that would count as speech that would be prohibited under their ter- terms. Good, good. You do have absolutist policies, um, but... I do least, not have absolute... Least, I, do, I do not have... Please don't interrupt me. If the Homeland Security official echoed your opinion, you... Uh, uh, please don't interrupt me. Please don't interrupt me. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz wants to use this to shut down political speech. 
See, and this is what the left is ultimately about. This is why I'm very, very cautious about bans in general, because there's some lefty out there, some lefty who will absolutely turn around and argue that we need to ban this because it might lead to that. Did you hear that? I don't know if you heard the news report earlier about Donald Trump. And what they said was that Donald Trump could be sued civilly because of January 6th because he said, fight like hell, fight like hell. Fight like hell is a, is a term that is used all the time in politics. We're going to give them hell. We're going to fight like hell. We're going to take our country back. I mean, politi- politicians use hyperbole all the time. You don't actually break the law and lose your First Amendment protections unless you specifically tell people to do something specific. Like, for example, if I say, if, if Donald Trump had said that day, I want you to go into the Capitol building grab Mike Pence, take him on the lawn and 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 kill him. Yeah, that would be a problem. That'd be a very, very big problem. He said, I want you to storm the Capitol building and I want you to intimidate the crap out of the uh, the members of Congress so that they don't certify the election. That'd be a problem. If he says we're going to fight like hell or we don't have a country and people interpret that as meaning I should go into the Capitol and intimidate members of Congress, that's on them. But you see, the other problem, though, with that is a lot of people went into the building that day not looking to do anything nefarious. They just went into the building. And we also have evidence now that there were a lot of federales there who were coaxing people to to go, to go into the building. There were a lot of different organizations, federal uh, authorities who were trying to make this into a thing. But to argue that that speech is insightful, I mean, just think about what that means politically speaking. You can't say fight like hell. You can't say, can you say, give them hell? Can you say, fight for America, fight for your rights, fight for your right to party? Can you say that? You got to fight for your right to party. Now, does that mean I want you to physically go out there and beat up people who won't give you beer? You know what I'm saying? You got to fight for your right to party. Yes. (laughs) What does that mean in your mind? Uh, hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. Matt is how do you fight for your right to party? You've incited me. I just want to start hitting people, I think. <laughs> I think I'd want to push back against the man who is keeping me from partying. They want to shut it down because it's too loud. It's too late. You know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> you got to fight. So that means then if, if say it's closing time mm-hmm. and they kick you out of the bar, you got to fight them for your right <laughs> to party. And you should kick that bouncer's, right? Yeah, if he's looking at me the wrong way. Right? You know, if, if there is a state that has absurd liquor laws, like New Jersey, Sunday mornings you can't buy booze until I don't know what time it is, 11, 12, I'm not sure. But my theory is this. If you're up Sunday morning doing the grocery shopping, you're not the problem because you're up on Sunday morning. So let you buy some booze. You know what I'm saying? I, you're not the issue. The person who they're worried about or they wanted to protect with this absurd law, that guy's sleeping it off somewhere, probably on a street next to a dumpster in his own vomit. <laughs> He's not up Sunday morning buying, you know, quinoa. <laughs> I me, typically do my shopping. What's that? Tell him he's not going to church and then right. the shops right after. I typically do my shopping on Sunday mornings for that reason, because the stores are pretty quiet. And it always just makes me laugh that they they have the booze all chained off. You know, roped off. Yep, 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 can't buy. You could buy it at eleven, but not at ten forty-five. 
Why, why not? Well, because if you buy it at 1045, you might just drink the whole thing right on the spot and then die. Or may, something. I'm not... Get behind the wheel. Yeah. And it's not even a blue law. I mean, there's a county in New Jersey, for example, Bergen County, that the blue laws, you can't... Their stores are all closed on Sundays. It's not even that. It's just a time. It's just an arbitrary time. Well, we think if you, if you can buy booze prior to 11 o'clock on Sunday, it's offensive to God. But at 11.02... Knock yourself out. In fact, I got a two-on-one special here on rum chata. It's just, you know. Uh, let's see. Chris Eppolito said, so the 18th Amendment started prohibition and the 19th opened voting to all sexes. So that actually passed with everyone sober. Hashtag only kidding ladies. Hashtag Zioli Army. <laughs> Chris, it's outrageous. I denounce that. <laughs> I denounce you. You're denounced. Okay, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's terrible. It's very funny. Um, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> Signs of autumn size says you guys are the best. You just gave me a great laugh about the women's voting, and then I think it was DeSantis that has the contagious laugh. I love it. Yeah, DeSantis lost it on that one too. And then Amy Princess of Profanity put out a a Christmas meme, little Ralphie just putting his head down. (laughs) I just saw it. With those big glasses of Ralphie's. It's great. Uh, Let's see what else we got on Twitter here today. We have um, Bill Bob One says, Rich, Newsom is the character Mr. Freeze from the movie Santa Claus the Third. He also fits the image of the Freeze guy in the old animated TV show Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That was... um, what was his name? Santa Claus is Coming to Town, by the way, is, a, is a, uh, one of the most pro-liberty uh, Christmas movies out there. But who was the guy that wanted to ban toys? You remember that? In that movie? It was um, like Burgermeister, Burgerman or something? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't remember that? Is that the one with the heat miser and the snow miser? That's, that... that's the year without a Santa Claus. Uh, which right? one am I thinking? Burgermeister, My- Meister Burger. I think it was his name, right? I have no idea. Uh... Every Christmas I talk about this, my, my memory is not what it was. That's the problem because of my children. But they said, I think Santa Claus is coming to town. I think it's the name of the movie. And it was the most libertarian Christmas movie because this guy wanted to ban toys in the show, in the movie. And Santa Claus was, he was like an outlaw. Yeah, Burgermeister. Yeah, this is it. That was his name. And that was the, that was the character. And he wanted to ban toys. And Santa Claus was like this rebel who was going out there and giving toys to children that were illegal because they were banned. You don't know. I I can't believe you guys don't know this movie. Hang on. Santa Claus is coming to town. Let's see. Um, Not Mariah Carey. It's a movie. I think I have the name of the right movie. From 1970. That's it. Yes. So Burgermeister Meisterburger, which I'm pretty sure was his name. uh, He was this mean mayor and he wanted to ban toys. And it was it's a great lesson about government, actually government power. And then Santa Claus goes out there and winds up being a criminal, essentially, now as he gives toys to children. Yeah, I, I remember watching this. Yeah, it's been a while. And if you there's a great song he sings in there where he talks about why he wants to ban toys because they make people happy and he doesn't want people to be happy. Burgermeister Meisterburger. Oh, this is great. Now, this is bringing, this is bringing back memories and what I got I to make my, my children watch for um, Christmas. 
But that was his evil, dastardly plan to ban toys. You guys are too young. That's the problem. No, I've, I've seen these, like, You've seen it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I just forgot the plot to it. See if you can find me. We'll do it next week. We'll see if you can find me Burgermeister Meisterberger's song about why he wants to ban toys. I have one song from the movie. I don't know if this is it, though. Is it Burgermeister Meisterberger? That's not what it's called. No, it's this one. Can you turn that up there? Go ahead. Let's see. I really am a mean and despicable creature at heart, you know. It's so difficult to really change. Difficult? (laughs) Why, why, look here. Changing from bad to good's as easy as taking your first step. Yeah, well, that's not the one where he bans the toys, but you get the point. Anyway. Wait, 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 wait. Is it, it's a difficult responsibility? Yes, that's it. I got it. Let's see. Let's let's hear it. Let's see. Go ahead. Go ahead. As I suspected, I hate toys, mm-hmm. and toys hate me. Mm-hmm. Either they are going or I am going, and I am certainly not going, Grinsley. I have a job for you to do. Now take this down. It's a difficult responsibility. Good job. That you accept from the number one lawmaker, me. Have it known throughout the land from sea to sea. There'll be no more toy makers to the king. All the tin soldiers melt them down. Wash the face of every clown. Each bouncing ball deflated. No, I don't want to debate it. The ballerinas who pirouette arrest their musical toes. Outlaw the dolls and sink the boats. They bring me only woes. It's a difficult responsibility that you accept from the number one lawmaker, me. See, number one lawmaker, me. Have it known throughout the land from sea to sea. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the government power. By the way, he sounds a little bit like uh, Gutierrez. Gutierrez. <laughs> sounds a lot like right? him, actually. Well, I, if I remember correctly now, because this is all starting to come back to me, doesn't he get a toy that he wanted as a child at the end of the movie, and that makes it all okay? That makes it all okay. Yeah. And Santa Claus goes from being a fugitive to being a hero. Yes. So that's what, just what we need to do with these people. We need these... Something they didn't get to say as a kid or whatever. Give they get Ant- to say it now. Give Antonio Gutierrez the Lamborghini. He yeah, yeah, child, something like that. Suddenly he doesn't care Give about him the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good timely tale. You see how quickly you could go from being a villain to being Santa Claus just by giving children, children toys in defiance of the king, who sounds a lot like Phil Murphy in that too, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. It's a difficult. The message is similar. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to. It's my, it's my job. My job is to ban things. I got to do it. You know. Ah, uh, let's see. I, I mm. Watch that movie now. What? I said I want to watch that movie. Now. Yeah, put that on your list. Yeah, put I think, that it's, like, on your I think list. it's like an hour. Mm-hmm. It's like a TV movie. Um, it's a, it's actually uh, uh, there was a writer from Reason.com who said it's the most libertarian movie christmas movie ever for that reason because you know like most christmas movies are all about how you got to give away all your stuff like most christmas movies guilt you into having things and a lot of them i think are really anti-capitalist plots deep down inside it's like come on give away all your stuff it's christmas whereas this movie 
is about how the government bans toys and Santa Claus has to go and, 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 and give the children what they want in spite of a tyrannical dictator. Because don't you think a lot of Christmas movies are really just kind of socialist plots? Yeah, it's always right? putting other people before yourself. Yeah. yeah. Give away all your money. Give away everything. You have too much. It's Christmas. Give me all your cash. Yeah, Scrooge had it right the first time. He didn't need those three ghosts to come and lecture him. No, not at all. Please, come on. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. I got to take a to take a break now. One, I got a minute. I got a minute. Let me do this. Um, before I end this segment, this is Karine Jean-Pierre ending a White House briefing in chaos after refusing to call on an African reporter. This this is uh, what's the guy's name? Today News Africa. He he's he's always getting ignored by her, and he's always posting on social media. Now I can't think of his name, but anyway, this is what uh, happened. Simon, yes, uh, Tiba. I think yes, that's, how you that's the guy, and he's terrific. He's great, but she always consistently ignores this poor man. Cut thirteen. I got you a follow up, and I'm going. Yeah, what one question? It is so surprising uh, that you don't so, take if you are receiving an African leader, you can't take a question from an African okay, can end this briefing if it's not going to be respectful here. Chris. That's what I'm saying. You're okay. receiving uh, an African okay. leader and you don't take questions. Thanks, everybody. Uh, question about gas prices. Uh, thanks, everybody. Can we do one about right. the gas you. prices? All right. There you go. She didn't take uh, and she did not hold a press briefing today. So there you go. Did not do that today. All right. Listen, um, six o'clock hour. I'm going to play you a couple interviews I did today on Fox Across America. Uh, with Jimmy Fallon. Uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Nicole Sapphire. And also we are going to talk to, who's the other person? Andy, uh, Andy McCarthy. Yes, about Hunter Biden. And then we got something special planned. I have to actually leave tonight a little bit early because my daughter is in a play and I want to make sure I can see her play and I have to get there. So we're going to play these interviews and we got some good content coming up in our fourth and final hour. But I don't want to pretend like it's live because it's not. So I just wanted you to know. But it's going to be good stuff, so stick around. Dr. Nicole Sapphire asked her a lot of things about the China virus, the new one, and Andy McCarthy, all about Hunter Biden, and also the charges against Donald Trump and where all this goes from here. Um, Surprisingly, it's nothing anti-Trump, so I I will just let you know that. But I want to tell you about Cooper University Healthcare, a leading academic health system. Cooper's experts provide award-winning primary and specialty care at more than 100 offices throughout the region, including personalized cancer care, through the MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper. Groundbreaking stroke and neurosciences care, advanced surgical services, cutting-edge clinical research, and more. Recognized regionally and nationally, make Cooper your fo- first choice for outstanding care close to home. For an appointment, call 800-8-COOPER or cooperhealth.org, cooperhealth.org. Which the only weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. 
know the question is, what will Anthony Fauci say when he's grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time? Here to talk about it with us, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. Hey, Doc, thanks so much for making time today. I appreciate it. Always good to be on with you, Rich. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, fellow uh, Jerseyite. So we got that, which is good. Uh, Fauci is going to be grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time. I would love to know what Dr. Nicole Sapphire would like them to ask Fauci. I'd love for you to offer some suggestions to the Republicans on that committee of what they should bring up with Fauci. Well, you know what? I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of hype for these early January hearings. And while I think it is crucial that Anthony Fauci desert, um, answers for a lot of what happened, I think it's going to be a little more of the same as what we have seen in the past. I mean, he continues to say, hey, I don't make mandates. Hey, I don't do these. I don't make policy. But the, the fact of the matter was he certainly was the public face of the COVID pandemic. I mean, people were making bobbleheads after him. He was invited to throw out pitches. He was, you know, invited to everything. So he does have some responsibility. But what I would really like the House Oversight to focus on are the potential ties to EcoHealth, the Wuhan Institute of Virology Lab. Was there some deceit? Was there some malfeasance where they were keeping information from the public of U.S. tax dollars funding this gain-of-function research? Was there a cover-up by Dr. Fauci because he didn't actually want it getting out that, you know, he was partaking in it? And I'd also like to see um, a more um, in-depth analysis of ties to the industry, specifically pharma and some of the other uh, you know, some of the the vaccines and the pharmaceuticals that came out during the pandemic, some were pushed more than others. And I would like to really understand if there's any evidence as to, you know, financial gain from Dr. Fauci or anybody and why some of that was pushed more than others. Yeah, excellent point. And what exactly he knew regarding the the safety of the WIV, the Warren Institute of Virology, because, you know, that Vanity Fair story that came out said, hey, listen, there were warnings. You know, the Deputy Energy Secretary, Dan Briette, warning Fauci's National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, hey, they are they are playing around with coronaviruses here and the Chinese military may be involved. And so follow the money and follow the warnings. I mean, why why were the warnings not heeded by Fauci and his team? Well, and on top of that, I think it's really interesting, you know, Vanity Fair has finally come out and is acknowledging a lot of these ties. But I can tell you that in May 2020, Vanity Fair mentioned me in one of their articles, essentially causing calling me a conspiracy theorist, as I said that there are far too many coincidences surrounding the close proximity of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the wet market, and all of the, you know, mystery illnesses that were coming out of that area um, late 2019. But so it was easy for them to deem me a charlatan. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Anybody who went um, against, you know, the the talking points that was coming out of Dr. Fauci was essentially, you know, cast aside as someone who, you know, ascribes to conspiracy theories. When at the end, at the end of the day, all we were doing was an- trying to ask some some questions. And I think it is prudent that those questions get answered. But unfortunately, I'll tell you, I believe that any and just about all evidence that could have linked the Wuhan Institute of Virology to the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic has probably been destroyed at this point. 
No, it's just it's unbelievable. And then, you know, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, now is suing Pfizer over what he says are misleading claims regarding the COVID vaccine and also for the fact that they were trying to censor people who were talking about it. I, I remember you being on with me back in, I think it was uh, maybe April of last year when when the whole studies were coming out about kids and, and COVID shots. And it was two years ago. It's, time kind of flies by lately. But uh, and, and you were saying, you know, look, look at the data from other countries in Europe. Look at what they're, they're turning out and saying. Look at the data from Israel. And, and yet that, that that information was not allowed to be put on social media platforms because it would make people really think twice about giving their kids a covid vaccine and, and healthy young people should think twice about getting it. And you were saying all those things. And yet that that data, which was actual scientific data, was censored by big tech. Well, but it wasn't just big tech, right? You actually, we saw that there were emails and communicate between the White House, the Department of Defense, and big tech. So they were all in cahoots together. And unfortunately, you know, that's also a good question. You know, Dr. Fauci, again, being the director of the NIAID, excuse me, essentially, why were we so behind when it came to the data? Yes, it's true that just with, you know, every cycle each year, we look to different parts of the country to see what the flu season is going to be like. But that's because of, you know, the different respiratory seasons. We were very similar in our infection times to these other countries, yet we were six to 12 weeks behind reporting on data, including variants and treatment responses. Why did we have such an uncoordinated, uh, you know, data collection system? And I think part of it is because they were really banking on the vaccine to be the end-all, be-all. And when it became readily apparent that, you know, natural immunity, vaccine-induced immunity, maybe it gave you some protection against future infections, it certainly wasn't preventing disease anymore. And so they they didn't know how to handle that because that's what they were waiting for. We'll keep locking down. We'll keep masking. We'll keep doing all these things until we hit these vaccine benchmarks. But when it realized those benchmarks don't matter, they had to scramble to change all of their policy. And they didn't have a contingency plan. And they were not following the science. And at what point do we need to hold accountable these institutions, the CDC, the WHO, and others who truly ignored science to fit with their talking points. Yeah, and here's the other thing, too, as as all of this happens and more and more information is coming out, like, you know, we're hearing about what's spread in China now. This is pneumonia, which is gripping the country. And the other question I wanted to ask you is, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, and it's great to have you with us, of course, uh, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor and best-selling author of Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Um, what is white lung syndrome? And why does it seem like these things always always kind of start in China? I don't know if this is the same disease that they're talking about now in China where they're locking people down again and making people wear masks or not. But if it is, I guess, I guess the, the question, if it did first emerge in China, is why, why does it seem like this keeps happening over there? Could this be another lab-made creation, or is this, again, somebody ordering something undercooked at a wet market? So what I believe is going on right now is that everyone has PTSD from the COVID pandemic and media headlines and hype are really um, getting people uneasy. China is reporting that in northern China, there has been, you know, a clustered or an increase of pediatric or cases in kids of pneumonia. Kids are being hospitalized with pneumonia. And the World Health Organization has said to China, we want to know exactly what is causing these pneumonia cases. Well, China is saying, listen, it's just the normal stuff. It's flu. It's, 
it's other viruses, RSV, it's bacteria, it's like mycoplasma. And these are all kind of normal respiratory pathogens. But unfortunately, the world doesn't trust China anymore. And by the way, they lost, they lost any right to that trust. So China does need to put forth the laboratory studies confirming that, yes, there's no novel pathogen here, that this is just all the normal virus and bacteria that we're kind of used to. And there's something, something called an immunity dip or immunity gap. We were dealing with it a bit here in the United States last year. Remember, we were talking about all of the strep throat and flu and all the kids? Well, because for the preceding couple of years, kids were kept out of school. They didn't have the same socialization. So they were not being exposed to all the same pathogens. So all of a sudden, their immune systems were down. So last year in the United States, we were a bit overwhelmed with all of the illness again. But again, all of the normal illness. China stayed locked down longer than we did. So now this is their year of an immunity gap. On top of that, we're also seeing a rise in specifically mycoplasma pneumonia cases. Mycoplasma is a well-known bacteria. It causes pneumonia. We call it an atypical pneumonia, um, especially in kids. Um, and that kind of cycles every four to five years. And the last time we saw a big mycoplasma spike was 2019. Before that, 2015. Before that, 2011. It's literally on track, as though we plotted out a line graph. We could have expected to see mycoplasma cases up right now. So I think that we need to calm down, you know, take, take a breath from the media headlines. It doesn't seem to be anything novel. It seems to be all our normal stuff. Our pediatric hospitals in the United States are not overwhelmed, but even if they are, that happens just about every year because the United States is terrible when it comes to pediatric health care. We've closed many of our hospital beds. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. We, we, my three-year-old right now is, is in, in school, preschool, and she's sick all the time, double ear infections. I mean, constantly coughing, runny noses. And I, well, the good news is that I've noticed that people are still sending their kids, you know, if they don't have a fever, they're still going because um, you're right, they got to build up immune systems. It, it has to happen that way. Uh, it's the only way these kids are going to have immune systems. And, and, and speaking of the damage that was done by lockdowns, there, there's another study that came out. I'm sure you've probably seen this, Dr. Sapphire, where they said that because of the COVID lockdowns, older people, this was a UK study, older people struck by COVID rules have worse mental health, uh, more instances of dementia, Alzheimer's, um, depression. I can imagine that. I mean, imagine, you know, your, your spouse of 50 years, you can't say goodbye to them. You're not allowed to even visit them in the hospital. You can't be around your friends. For a lot of these people, they're retired and their only outlet is going out to places and they couldn't do that. I, I can only imagine how mental health would be crippling for people, particularly in this age category. Well, absolutely. And by the way, I think it's funny that we have to have studies telling us this, right? Like who funded this study? I can definitely give you some more places where the money would have been better spent. But absolutely, what happened during COVID lockdowns, especially our elderly, they were, they were paralyzed in fear. They were told if they were around people, it would kill them. Family members were told, if you go around your elderly family member, you're going to kill them. So all of a sudden, they isolated themselves. And we absolutely know that isolation increases the risk of depression. It rapidly exacerbates dementia, aging, and cognitive decline. One, If you look at the blue zone areas across the, the world, blue zone areas are where people live the longest. One of the fundamental things, yes, it's good diet. Yes, it's good exercise. But the, one of the fundamental things is socialization and maintaining being 
being a part of a social network. And that was stripped from people during the COVID pandemic. We knew better. We knew there had to have been better ways to handle it, but we ignored the science. And these are the repercussions from it. We have a rise in mental illness, not just in our elderly and our children and our adults. Unemployment is still high. People are struggling. And while maybe the lockdowns only lasted a year or two, the damages are going to last significantly longer and take much more work to come back from. Oh, and that, that's, the, that's the part about it that is so incredibly heartbreaking. All right, last question for you. Massachusetts now says they are the second state with this child pneumonia outbreak. Uh, any, any thoughts for parents, any guidance right now for them, Dr. Sapphire, that you'd give if they're nervous about this? Yeah, no, absolutely. So my two little guys, 10 and 9 years old, over Thanksgiving break, essentially had the mycoplasma pneumonia. I mean, it is what it is, and here we are reporting on it. And so while common things being common, if your kiddo comes home with an upper respiratory infection, you know, a cough, a runny nose, it's probably going to be nothing. If that cough starts getting more severe, if they're spiking fevers, they're not drinking as much water, you know, and you just are a little worried about your kiddo, you absolutely should take them to the doctor. Because while viral infections don't necessarily need any medications, it could be a bacterial infection, which will respond quickly to medications. And so you don't want to just assume it's a virus. You always want to double check. And so the right thing to do is to go to your doctor. Also, sometimes they can prescribe breathing treatments and even steroids just to help those little guys' lungs because they're not as strong as ours. They can collapse a little bit easier. But, you know, what I always say is make sure they're eating healthily, get them some exercise, make sure they're sleeping well. You can throw in a humidifier in the bedroom, but make sure you're living your life. Yeah, well said. Well said, my friend. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. The Zioli Show, on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. What is next week going to bring? That is the question. What is next week going to bring when it comes to Hunter Biden? Here to talk about it with us. Andrew McCarthy, senior Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andrew McCarthy, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great, Rich. How are you? Good. Anytime I get to fill in for Jimmy, I'm a happy guy. So this is a great. And then when you get to come on the show with me, I know it's going to be magic, baby. Oh, I, I just I, I can I can feel it. It's kind of electric, don't you think? <laughs> it goes right through the airwaves. All right. Let's talk about, first of all, why the chairman of the committee, Jim Comer, is uh, saying that there needs to be a private deposition of Hunter Biden. And what's the difference really between a private deposition and a public hearing? And why is it that Hunter is insisting on all of this being in public? Well, a lot of it is is theater. There's big differences between a private deposition and, you know, anybody who's watched these crazy kill hearings where, you know, you get 45 members of this committee ask five minute rounds of questions. So it goes on for, uh, you know, six or seven or more hours, but nobody can ever, uh, you know, develop a line of inquiry or a line of cross-examination. Most of it is speech making rather than testimony. Whereas uh, in an investigation, what you want to do is have have something that's akin to like a grand jury um, where you can actually come in and, um, you know, somebody who's confident in questioning witnesses uh, can develop lines of inquiry over like an hour of um, of rounds rather than five minutes. 
And it's like the grand jury in the sense that you not only get a narrative out of the witness and the questioning is coherent, but you also can ask about documents and that kind of stuff where you you then discover other lines of investigation and other things you need to cover. So any investigator is going to want something like that. And it's important to note, Rich, that this is typical. This is what happens. It's not like Comer made this up for this investigation. Uh, in the Trump impeachment inquiry, they subpoenaed people and forced them to come in for these kinds of depositions. Uh, in the January 6th committee, they did the same thing. There were a lot of witnesses who took the position then that they wanted to testify in public and didn't want to sit for these inquiries or, or these depositions because they didn't trust the committees. The, the difference is when Trump witnesses made those claims in connection with those investigations. The media liked those investigations, so they gave short trip to the you know people saying they wanted to testify in public. But here, the media hates Comer's investigation and is sympathetic to Hunter, so they're playing up his claim that he only wants to testify in public because he doesn't trust the committee. But you know this is this is a game that gets played all the time. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. And I think Hunter Biden wants to do a show here and wants a spectacle for the cameras. But, I, yeah. but you know, the, the transcript and, the, and, and then to ultimately hold the public hearing down the road sounds like a, a, a pretty good thing. What is in terms of how this plays out? I mean, is, is this a situation where ultimately Comer gets his way or Hunter Biden can say, no, it's either public or nothing? I mean, w- what sort of legal authority do they have here in this matter? Well, so the, the thing is that no one's going to end up happy. Um, Comer is in the right uh, in the sense that a, a subpoena is not an is not a you know it's not a suggestion. It's not like an RSVP where you know you say we we sure hope you can come. Um, it's an order. You have to show up. So he's got to show up. On the other hand. He's under indictment and presumably, or although I think this is way overstated given the way this has been handled, uh, he's presumably under additional investigation and facing potentially other charges. What that means, Rich, is that he has a live Fifth Amendment privilege and he doesn't really have to testify. He can refuse to testify. And I actually think this whole escapade where he's, you know, pounding on the table and saying, I don't want to come to a deposition, but I'll testify in public. The only reason he's doing that is he knows the committee is not going to give in to him on that and that it doesn't have to give in to him on that. He doesn't want to say publicly, I can't testify because, you know, it could hurt me uh, in the criminal prosecutions. So he'd rather spin this that, um, this is an insidious committee that won't let him testify in public, and that's why he's being resistant, when in point of fact, he's not going to testify because his defense lawyer would be crazy to let him testify when he's facing charges. Andy McCarthy is with me right now on Fox Across America. Uh, no question about it. And I wanted to ask you, kind of switching gears for a second, the the question about Donald Trump and the latest gag order, I guess, uh, I guess a higher court upheld the gag order against him and the judge. I- I'm sure you were probably as shocked as I was to see the ACLU come out and at least criticize the federal gag order against the former president. 
I mean, he's he's in a unique spot here because he's he's normally you get the advice of saying don't say anything, just keep your mouth shut and don't incriminate yourself. Yeah. But he's running for president, so he's got to explain his case. And and these are public figures. Uh, so, I mean, do you think this gag order is actually constitutional? No, I, I you know, I think that um, it's not a it, it's it's not a straightforward situation. There, there's complexity to it. I mean, ordinarily. Trial courts are allowed to regulate, to some extent, uh, the behavior, including the public commentary of participants in the proceeding. Uh, and that's especially true of lawyers. Trump, it, it should be pointed out that, you know, lawyers get, um, get gagged all the time because you give up, you forfeit your, um, you know, the, the full run of your First Amendment protection in order to be a member of the bar. You know, you agree to be a member of the, uh, the court's bar and to follow the, the, the regulations attendant to the legal profession. But Trump is a volunteer. And as you point out, he's not just a I'm sorry, he's not a volunteer. He's be, he's been dragged into these proceedings uh, against his will. So he's not like a lawyer who agreed to abide by uh, gag conditions. And he's a highly unusual uh, litigant in that uh, he's also running for president and he's running running against people, Republicans and Democrats, who are completely uninhibited in what they're allowed to say about his travails in these cases. So he's obviously it's a public issue. He's got to be able to uh, address it. And to the extent that these judges think that there's nothing in life other than their little proceedings and that they can put whatever conditions on it uh, that they want. I think the judges have to realize that uh, in the United States, no right is absolute. uh, And everybody has to compromise when rights rub up against each other. So they're going to have to put up with more public commentary from Trump than they would in an ordinary case. It's just a fact because there's other constitutional considerations at, at work. Right, right. There are other constitutional considerations at work here, no question about it. And I guess as I'm thinking about all this, and you and, and Charles C.W. Cook at National Review, your colleague over there, you kind of had a little back and forth uh, about this, and that's crazy. And I, 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 explain to me the point that you were making with your, your take on this regarding Trump and, and all these indictments. Well, I wasn't really disagreeing with Charlie so much as saying that— um I think Charlie's point that we're in a crazy time, um, which, by the way, the the thing that uh, predicated that whole discussion was our editor, Phil Klein, made the, I think, uh, undeniable point that Trump really took control of of the Republican nomination process because of the indictments, that that really is what galvanized his support and made it very difficult for any other candidate to get traction. And Charlie's point was that that's a crazy situation that, you know, this idea that indictments could actually help somebody get nominated. And my only point in responding was to say, well, crazy, but crazy like a fox, because the Democrats knew uh, that the indictments would have exactly this effect. And they've done this on purpose. So, you know, ordinarily you wouldn't adopt a crazy strategy on purpose because a crazy strategy might not work. This is like perversely effective, but it's exactly what they knew would happen. And I think, as I I think I've discussed with you before, Rich, 
I've thought all along that the strategy here is to indict him to help him get nominated. And then what they figure is that the trials and other stuff that they can put out that's going to have a lot of damaging information then come out after he's already got the nomination locked up and hurt him very badly going into the November election because then the audience is not the Republican base, which is sympathetic to Trump. It's the broader public where he's already not nearly as popular. Yeah, and I think that 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 gamble that they had, the problem for them is that maybe Americans just don't care so much about the indictments and everything when they're thinking about the economy. That story from CBS News the other day saying you need an extra eleven thousand four hundred dollars just to be at the same level of of living you were back in uh, January of 2021. So, I mean, this is a this is a big gamble the Democrats are making here. I I agree with you 100 percent, Andy McCarthy. They wanted him to be the nominee. They thought he was the easiest one to beat. But if the early polls are any indication, he's got significant leads in several of the key states he needs to win. And Democrats have a terrible candidate in Joe Biden. It's possible that people may just say all of this is just background noise. And as long as he's allowed to remain on the ballot, they may say the economy matters more and I was better off under him. So I guess that brings me to the question of of the ballot and the efforts by Democrats right now to try to keep him off the ballot. I know that there were some rulings that came out that said, you can't keep him off the ballot in a primary, mainly the court saying that primaries are, in fact, you know, private political party exercises, even though they're governed by um, state election laws are still private entities deciding on their own candidates. So they don't have the right to keep somebody off a primary ballot. But they were very silent on the issue of a, of a general election question of whether or not they could keep him off the ballot. Do you, do you anticipate them trying that route of saying 14th Amendment, Section three, he can't be on the ballot in our state? Yeah, I I think the 14th Amendment, Section 3 thing is completely meritless. Uh, You know, I know there's some uh, even conservative scholarship that pushes in the other direction. I I find it completely unpersuasive. I don't think Section 3 applies to the president and the vice president. seems to me that, you know, if you look at Section 3, it, it has an exhaustive list of who it applies to. And it even mentions electors for president and vice president, but it doesn't mention the president and the vice president, which seems to me like if if there was an intention to apply it to them, uh, obviously that would have been written in there, just like they wrote in senators and representatives and the like. So I don't think it applies anyway, but I do worry um, about the scenario that you are addressing, because so far what they've done is go to court to try to get them off the ballot. And I think in the courts, they'll reject this argument as legally meritless. What I worry about as you get down to the end toward election day is if instead of going to the court, they go to some Democratic uh, secretary of state or attorney general and try to get that politically elected Democrat on his own without going to court to strike Trump from the ballot where it wouldn't necessarily be legal, but they would like try to you know procedurally tie it up at least until after election day, uh, and just make it uh, and make it very difficult for him to be on the ballot. So I do worry about those kind of shenanigans. But if I was worried about the ballot, Rich, I'd be a lot. I, I think the thing that can really throw the election into turmoil is the third and fourth party candidates. You know, I've always been someone who said that I don't think Trump really has a chance to win 
in the broad electorate because I think he's too unpopular and I don't think he can hit the number that he needs to hit to win. But I think if you get a third or fourth candidate who's going to actually draw from both sides, everything I've said and everyone else has said about a two-party race kind of goes out the window. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, well said. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at here in this political season. Uh, Andy McCarthy, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. You're listening to the best of the Rich Seoli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Senator Rand Paul has been fighting the fight, and now the book is out, and you got to read it. It is one of the most important books we have uh, out there today, it's called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. Senator Rand Paul joins me now on Talk Radio 1210. Senator, how are you? Very good, Rich. Thanks for having me. Listen, my pleasure, my pleasure. Let's talk about COVID. You've been all over this. I mean, you've been fighting Fauci since day one. Uh, he's mocked you. He's belittled you. He's insulted you in front of the Senate. And most importantly, he's lied in front of the Senate and lied in front of your committee. You know, as we explored this issue and as we looked into the cover-up, we discovered that virtually everything he said in public has been a lie. But we discovered a parallel universe, which is his private email. And as a federal judge forced him to reveal more and more of his private emails, we found that everything he said, particularly about the origins of the virus, in private, in early 2020, February 1st, 2020, He's saying to his colleagues, to the other virologists, he's saying it looks like the virus was manipulated in a lab, and we're very suspicious of this lab because we know they do gain-of-function research. Fast forward about a year later in public under oath, he's telling me absolutely, without question, unequivocally, the NIH has never funded gain-of-function research in that lab. So everything he said has been a lie about it, but it's not just him. Eight different departments of government were funding this. They're still hiding and passing the buck on this. And it's essentially a conspiracy of anybody who was associated with the funding. They're trying to hide it because they now know that there's a certain amount of culpability they have in starting this pandemic. Culpability, and they want the gain-of-function gravy train to continue, right, Senator? Because they get paid on the, on the front and the back. They get paid to create it, and they get paid to find the so-called cure for it. Yeah, at one point there's a conversation between Francis Collins, who is head of NIH, and Anthony Fauci, head of part of the NIH, and they're going back and forth, and Francis Collins sort of, uh, you know, intimates, he says, well, it just wouldn't be good for science if people thought this came from China. And I paraphrased him in the book. I, I report him accurately, then paraphrase him as, really, it wouldn't be good for the business of science. There's billions of dollars that are changing hands. People want to think these scientists, you know, really care about people. They went into science to cure cancer. Many of them probably did, but many of them are enriching themselves. Anthony Fauci's personal assets went from $7 million to $11 million during this. He was given a million-dollar prize by a nonprofit foundation. Um, he receives royalties but won't reveal the royalties. When I ask, them, well, ask him under oath, have you received any royalties or did any of the scientists on the vaccine committee receive royalties from Pfizer or Moderna, the manufacturers of the vaccine? He wouldn't answer and immediately tried to turn the tables and make a political argument against my probing him. But this is 
you know, in all likelihood, this is the biggest cover-up or conspiracy we've had in modern times because this is a multi-billion-dollar enterprise. And realize who these people are, not just interested scientists. Peter Daszak, who ran EcoHealth, which is the organization that uh, funneled the money to China, to the lab, in order to get favor and to curry favor with people like Anthony Fauci, he would rent out the Cosmos Club, some swanky club I don't think I've ever been to in D.C., for 15, 20 grand for an hour or two for a cocktail party, and he'd invite people like Fauci to try to cozy up to them. So th- this is a, a world really of scratching people's backs. It's a seamy underbelly of Washington, but it's involving the scientific community, and it's also involving research that's incredibly dangerous. This, this virus killed 0.3%. That's about a million people in America. But can you imagine they're experimenting on viruses that could kill 50% of Americans? Well, that's what I don't understand, Senator Rand Paul. Why would you make Frankenstein's monster with the idea that, well, if he ever shows up, we know how to fight him, and then he gets out of the lab? I mean, why are we tinkering with nature in this way in the first way? I mean, we no money because they want to make money off of this. But, I mean, it, it, this sounds like the worst possible idea. And to do it in these unsecure bio labs around the world where you've got the Chinese Communist Party would love to weaponize this kind of thing and use it as a bioweapon. And to this day, a lot of us, you know, we were called conspirator, conspirators for just thinking that it came from a lab. And I'm, we've been saying that from day one. How do we we still don't know if the Chinese government was ever planning to use this as a bioweapon? We don't know. And if they, if not this one, it could be the next one. It was a huge judgment error to decide, and a lot of this was decided by Bill Gates. He funds maybe 20% of all of the funding for all of these organizations, Amazing. WHO, all these organizations. He decided, along with others, that we should identify every virus on the planet. And there's, you know, millions of these viruses, but he, he said we should, we should isolate them and put them in a lab. So in China, there's a remote cave like eight to ten hours south of Wuhan. They go down there a couple hundred feet underground, dig through the guano, and they they find viruses, then they take them back to a city of 11 million. So just the idea of taking a virus from a remote location where it's very unlikely to ever encounter a human and taking it back to a big city on the subway train, to a big city and through, through the airports, is, is a crazy and dangerous notion, but it gets worse than that. Once they isolate an unknown virus from a bat cave from hundreds of feet underground, they say, hmm, wonder if I mix this virus with this other virus I have here with part of this other virus. Wonder if we can make it more contagious in humans or more deadly in humans. And they say, we're doing this because we think it might happen in nature. But other scientists point out that nature is random, so the chances that you're going to actually create something that comes out of nature are slim and none. And these other scientists point out that no no cure and vaccine's ever been developed this way. But most people think the Chinese were trying to develop a vaccine, so they created a virus that was more lethal in humans, that gained function, and then it got out because they, in the book, we reveal the, the names of the actual scientists that are thought to be patient zero, and they all worked in that lab in Wuhan. Senator Rand Paul joins me. The book is a must-read, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. This is one of the most important books of our time. It is the biggest cover-up of our time. And, of course, the entire time this was going on, you had big tech censoring people for posting about this. And this brings up a fight that you're waging right now, Senator, which is the FBI's collusion with social media. And I know you went after Christopher Ray about this. I want to play a very quick clip for you of something that Elon Musk said regarding Twitter uh, before he was the owner of Twitter and the FBI's involvement. Real quick, go ahead. 
the degree to which Twitter was simply um, an arm of the government was not well understood by the public. And uh, it, it was, there was no, it was whatever the official government, I mean, it was like Pravda, basically. Um, you know, it's a state publication is the way to think of old Twitter. It's a state publication. There was uh, basically oppression of um, any any views that would even, I would say, be considered middle of the road. Um, but certainly anything on the the right. I'm not talking about like like far right. I'm just talking mildly right. The people like Republicans were suppressed at 10 times the rate of Democrats. Senator Rand Paul, I mean, that that's amazing that we have the FBI working like this with big tech and the corporate media to suppress things like you going after Anthony Fauci over gain of function research and the and the lab leak. Without question, Elon Musk is right. It is true. Uh, they became an arm of the government. They essentially became the censorship arm of government. And it's it's appalling. It's an affront to the First Amendment. Imagine if you and I, after this interview, when you get off the phone with me, that the FBI comes into your office and says, we've listened to the interview and we've decided that two or three of the questions you ask and the responses are uh, not consistent with the government narrative. In other words, they're disinformation and we'd like you to remove them. We would be horrified at that. And yet we allowed it to happen with Twitter and with Facebook. For over a year, Facebook took down any story and prevent the spread of any story that alleged that the virus leaked from a lab and that's how it started. They basically suppressed it, but at the behest of government. So I have a bill that would fix this. My bill does essentially what the Missouri versus Biden case has attempted to do. It says that the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the White House, the CDC, they cannot meet with any form of media to discuss, cajole, pressure, or otherwise cause them to take down legally protected or constitutionally protected speech. And we're pushing hard on this, but the Democrats don't seem to care. The Democrats don't remember that it was the FBI in the 1960s that went after Martin Luther King, that went after Vietnam War protesters, that went after civil rights protesters. Uh, they don't remember the abuses then, and they, they seem not to care now, which is really sad because my job would be a lot easier if I could find an honest progressive who remembered that they used to be big defenders of the First Amendment. Yeah, exa- exactly right. I mean, the weaponization of this government against the American people, the intimidation tactics, and then working together to control the narrative on everything. I mean, from from the origins of COVID, as you point out in your book, Deception, the great COVID cover-up, to the vaccines and the side effects and myocarditis, and also the, the effects of the isolation and the lockdowns. And you spent a lot of time going on about this as well, Senator. These lockdowns, were destructive. They destroyed people's lives. I think one of the, the heart, most heartbreaking things about this were people who were married, you know, for 50 years and couldn't be together to say goodbye to each other because of COVID protocols. And no science, no scientific evidence that any of it stopped the spread or slowed down the spread or saved one life. Everything they did was unscientific and inhumane. The one thing they did do that spread the virus was they sent people home from the hospital who were positive and putting in nursing homes, Governor Cuomo, and 50% of the deaths in New York were in the nursing homes. And there were doctors all along, scientists, Martin Kaldorf, Jay Bhattacharya, who were saying, target your resources, target your resources for the elderly, for the obese, for those who have medical issues, and let's try to save them. Instead, they ignored it and said, oh, everybody needs to be vaccinated, including your six-month-old child. And it frankly just was not true. 
To this day, they will not reveal what it means to be infected. So let's say you've got your parents are 75 years old and they've had two vaccines, but they've already had COVID twice. What does that mean? If they've had COVID twice, what are their chances if they get it again, they will die or go to the hospital? I think it's close to zero. And they should have that data, but they won't reveal it because they're too busy hawking vaccines for Pfizer and Moderna. Basically, our government has become salesmen for big pharma. Yeah, that's so well said. Well said. And and, and the accountability and the oversight here today is an important day. Senator Rand Paul, you also have the vote on your amendment to audit the Fed. And the Fed just announced they're keeping interest rates where they are. I, I, I mean, the damage that the Federal Reserve has done and is doing is incalculable and it needs to be audited. Why is it so important? You know, probably no more powerful organization that it doesn't have any oversight. And, uh, you know, the other side says, oh, we want them to be independent. But really, a lot of people get rich off the federal policy, off Fed's policy. And a lot of the people who get rich are the big banks and the very wealthy in our country. And the average ordinary person who uh, lives on a fixed income or a small income gets wiped out by the inflation that the Fed causes. We did have the vote just minutes ago, and we got, uh, I think, 44 Republicans uh, were yeses, three Republicans were noes, and then we picked up two uh, Democrats who voted with us. So I think the total was we had about 46, 47 uh, for it, and 53, something like that, 49, 50 against it. Why, why are there so many people who are worried about the truth coming out? This is very parallel to COVID and very, very, very much like the FBI controlling information. Why is there so much fear among our elected representatives to, to get to the truth here about what the Fed is doing? It's, it's sort of tribalism. They're in their tribe, and they don't uh, read anything from the other side. They have no idea. And the one person I would suggest they read who's been really good on the Fed is Matt Taibbi. He's a lifelong Democrat, but an honest uh, Democrat, honest, honest progressive, who's cut through the chase on the Twitter files. But he's also done it on the Fed and written some remarkable, remarkable articles on the Fed and really how it really is the rich get richer, and it's really a lot of it organized and accentuated by the Fed. The rich get richer when it comes to viruses and pandemics. And last thing I want to ask you, Senator Rand Paul, in in your book, Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up, you talk about how we can have accountability for these people. There's a lot of people out there wondering today, is anybody going to pay for this? Is anyone going to pay for what they've done to the world and what they've done to society and to our freedom and our liberty and uh, or are they just going to get away with it and, 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 and take their giant bank accounts and, and run? If I had my way, Anthony Fauci would already be wearing pinstripes. I've referred him twice to the Department of Justice. I've sent along the information. The proof of his lying under oath, which is a felony, are in his own words. We have his own emails that have been revealed by court order. And his own emails contradict everything he was saying in public and show that he was lying in the hearing. Um, But what more can you do? Merrick Garland may be the most partisan attorney general we've ever had. He still smarts because he didn't get onto the Supreme Court and Republicans blocked him. But the bottom line is I don't have the ability to prosecute people. It takes the Department of Justice to do it. I will say this. Two years ago, uh, 10% of the people and 10% of the media and 10% of the public thought that the virus might have come from the lab. It's 50-50 or better now. And in fact, I think slowly but surely, even though the Democrats are quiet on this, 
they're slowly acknowledging that they, they, they're starting to realize, too, that it came from this lab. Ultimately, I'm going to win the argument. The book's going to help win the argument. But then ultimately, I want to pass legislation that puts more restrictions on taxpayer financing of this type of research. I want a committee that can look at all the research, classified and unclassified, and make a judgment. You know, we need to have a real discussion whether or not taking something like Ebola, which kills 50% of the people, and saying, hey, guys, why don't we see if we can make it aerosolized? And, whoa, wouldn't it be great to mix it with this virus and see if we can make it more deadly? So that kind of stuff's got to stop. But it's going to take Democrats finally coming around because I can't do it with just Republicans. I'm going to need some Democrats to wake up and say, this is really dangerous. This is really bad. And, you know, we should never let this happen again. Yeah, well said. Well, this book is uh, going to go a long way towards doing that. And I, I encourage everyone to get a copy right now. Deception, the great COVID cover up. Dr. Senator Rand Paul, it's been an honor. Thanks for having thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. This is the best of the Rich Zioli Show. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. And on the free Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.